And uh, she said, I, I, I panicked, like, you know, I sort of got a little bit of a frag, you know, seeing this figure stand up on my bed, and then all of a sudden this peace came over me like I've never felt before. And, uh, and then uh, Jesus reached out his hand towards her, and she fell asleep. Anyway, she woke up in the morning. She slept, slept like a baby for like 10 hours. She said, that's the best sleep I've ever had in my life. And she woke up completely healed. Like she had ended her back and she was all hunched over. Her back was straight. And uh, she had a few other things wrong with her as well. And I said, and she said, oh, you know, I still had those, you know, I was still suffering with that. And I said, now Jesus wouldn't have come and appeared here in your room and left you, you know, with anything wrong. He's healed you 100%. So... So she was just, you know, she was amazed. She actually said to me, you know, I've got something I want to tell you, but I think, you know, you might think I'm a, I'm a little cuckoo. And I said, no, nah, no way, that's awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, man, thanks. Thanks. Pretty cool. I love, I love when the Lord's doing neat stuff like that, you know, and this was just a couple weeks ago. Mary, come here real quick if you can. Um, I don't know if many of you listen, if you're, if you're local. I, I love listening to Josh talk, too. I, it's, it's, <laughs> Tracy's going, what accent? Okay, okay. You know, so, yeah, but, but anyway, uh, in the process of that, uh, the, uh, the idea of, uh, uh, if, you're, if you're not from around here, one of, the, one of the radio stations here in our community that's Christian radio is 90.3. Plays a lot of contemporary Christian music. It's out of Lancaster. Uh, Mary was listening to that this morning. Really neat testimony on the radio. Just thought... It's, it's worth sharing. Just go ahead. You can hold that if you want to. You going to trust me with that? Go for it, man. <laughs> Amen. Uh, yeah, I was listening to the radio this morning, and there was a lady there from uh, Hershey Medical Center who was talking about this 60-year-old Jewish rabbi who had 10 heart attacks. And he's back in the hospital, and the doctor's like, you're not getting out of here. Not alive. So uh, he was absolutely fear-stricken. And he's like, I'm so afraid because I have no idea where I'm going to go when I die. And to top it off, he was also blind. And so this lady and other ones at the staff there, they're like, we can offer you Jesus. And he's like, I can't do this. I'm a Jewish rabbi. He says, but I'm so desperate, I'll do anything. So he prayed the prayer of salvation. And peace came over him for the first time. He's 60 years old. He says, I have peace for the first time in my life. I've never experienced that before. And just then he's like... Um, do you have dark hair? Are you holding the Bible? And he went around, he realized he was restored with his eyesight as well. And his heart was completely healed in an instant, that suddenly. Amen. Not, not bad for a Jewish rabbi story. Uh, <laughs> so a Jewish rabbi walks in, never mind. Okay. <laughs> Something consequential on your heart? Yeah, I think that would be cool. Um, I, we asked about prayer for Sarah and we're praying for Sarah at the end of the service. I uh, went into the doctors and uh, eyesight is improving, uh, moving in all the right directions. Good reports. And she's actually, yeah, yeah. So yay God. Pretty neat reports. Yeah. So we'll just continue to pray and, uh, and believe in for... I'm telling you, I just believe in redemption and redemption says it's like it never even happened. You know what I mean? And I really believe that's the will of God. Amen. Amen. Yay God. Good day. We're off to a good start. Did you have something you wanted to say real quick, Rich? Yeah, just a quick uh, question. I have three people that need name tags. Kathy Newton, Michael Orwell, and Becky Jansen. Does anybody else need a name tag? It's Mitch. The name's Mitch. Not Michael. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay, then, everybody. 
we'll get a name tag either after break or right after school. Okay, good. Mitch, I heard you might be related to Kevin and Cindy by birth. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Okay, um, tell them I said hi. All right, yeah, good folks. His mom and dad are pastors in Hanover uh, from Hanover Foursquare Gospel. Good folks, really, really wonderful. So glad to have you with us, man. Feels good. Um, everybody's doing all right. Turn with me back to John chapter eight. That's where we were. That's where we left off yesterday with Pastor Dan. There were some things that rose up in my heart. And I knew we didn't have time to really hit them, and I thought, man, I want to just cover this quickly if I can. Um, today I want to talk to you a little bit about for the for, for the next hour and a half or so about uh, why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? Um, John eight we're, we were looking at verses I think thirty and thirty one if I'm right thirty one and thirty two maybe maybe we'll, <laughs> we could start at thirty but if you look at thirty it says. As he spake these words, many believed on him. So you got to say, well, what words? You know what I mean? Because you can't read that and not back up. And, uh, and so, so if you back up to verse 28, he says, Then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. How many know he only said what the Father said? Man, we got to catch that. Because there's another place where he says, I only do what I see the Father do. But this is the place where he really says, I only speak what I hear the Father speak. Y'all following what I'm saying? Okay. So that's, that's good stuff right there. So, so he's saying, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you're going to understand. And he's talking about his own crucifixion. Okay. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Wouldn't that be a great testimony for every one of us? Amen. I always do the things that please him. I'll tell you something. You can live that lifestyle. It's, uh, I get so frustrated. Uh, one of the greatest frustrations in my life is that I hear so many people in the church saying, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Uh, like, I just want to... <laughs> we were at... Uh, if any of you ever been to uh, Florida, the, at, what's the gospel place in Florida? It's uh, TBN now owns it. Holy Land Experience. We're at the Holy Land Experience this summer. Uh, took the grandchildren down to Orlando and we went to the Holy Land to experience one day and there's this huge crowd there and this, this uh, theologian comes out to talk and, and there's a, I don't know, there's several hundred people there and they've all gathered around to listen to this guy and he starts out, well, we're all just sinners saved by grace and I went like this and my daughter Nicole sitting beside me and she grabs my arm, easy dad, easy. <laughs> She's like, I said, can you think he'd give me a minute? I, I can fix this. I'm, just, I'm like, hey, <laughs> but they wouldn't pick me anyway. <laughs> but but anyway, we, what, what a testimony to be able to say, I always do the things that please my father. You know what I mean? And that's what we're working toward. I really believe that. Now watch this. Okay. It says, as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus. Now he says to those Jews which believed on him. And, and Dan talked about that, that there's a distinguishing there that he's talking to the Jews. If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. Can I talk to you? Jesus didn't say go and make converts. He said go and make disciples. The church has been really good at making converts, but we've been terrible at making disciples. I mean, I really believe you're here in this class for the next 13 weeks because you want to be disciples, not just converts. We've got a lot of people saved. We've got good at getting people saved. We've got, we, we, you know, 
Uh, some of you I know are a little closer to my age, and there was the huge tent revival meetings. There were the healing crusades. There were, you know, uh, even like Billy Graham has gotten, I mean, Billy Graham's phenomenal. I mean, look at the number, number, numbers of people that got saved through his ministry. It's amazing. And as we think about that, you know, um, as we think about that, uh, we got a lot of people saved. But I'm not sure we've discipled a lot of people. And we're really called to make disciples, not converts. Okay, so that's just really huge. Um, I, I love the, I study the Paul pretty heavily, and I love his life because I see over and over he took on spiritual sons. You know, he writes to his spiritual son, Timothy, but Silas was also a spiritual son. Barnabas was also a spiritual son. He's got Silas, who's a comrade. I could get into all that. But the fact of the matter is, is that he was constantly pouring out. And one of the things that he tells to Timothy, he says, the things which you have seen and heard in me, commit thou to faithful men that they may tell others also. The word commit there comes from a Greek word. It literally means to pour into. And what he's saying is the stuff I poured into you, you pour into others so they can pour into others. But he says it. He says something very important there. He says, commit thou to faithful men he said if you're going to pour into somebody i taught in my mentoring class i went for a couple of weeks on this there's a huge difference between spending time and investing time do you understand that time is a commodity that none of us can make more of you're given a limited amount of time so you want to you don't want to just spend your time you want to invest your time huge difference between spending time and investing time everybody understand what i'm saying and the fact of the matter is if we're going to pour into people we want to make sure that we're pouring into somebody who's going to take what we pour into them and do something with it. Everybody okay with that? And that's a huge word right there. That's actually a very, very important word. Now watch this, because he says, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and watch this, the truth will make you free. And we've taken part of that verse, and we've actually ran with that verse and said, the truth will make you free, the truth will make you free, the truth will make you free. And that's actually a lie, because truth can't make you free. Because you were in bondage when truth was still truth. It's only the truth you know and experience that will make you free. Do you understand what I just said? I don't know how the background of hardly any of you in the building in this room today, but I know my own background. I know some of your backgrounds. A lot of us, we were in horrible bondage. You know what I mean? We were messed up with drugs or alcohol or just stupid stuff, whatever was going on in our life. Truth was still truth even when I was bound up by drugs and alcohol. You know what I mean? But the fact of the matter was truth didn't make me free until I knew truth and experienced truth. Everybody understand that? So he says, you'll know the truth. It's the truth you know that makes you free. Because the truth was there when I didn't know it. But it wasn't making me free till I knew it and experienced it. Everybody okay with that? So we just got to catch it in that order and understand that. So when I look at this and ask the question, why do we do what we do? It's because we've been made free and we'd like others to be as free as we are. The fact of the matter is, I'd been high. But on the night I got saved, I was never more high than that night. And what was cool was, I didn't have to come down. One of the facts that became real prevalent to me, I got saved in a little group. It was called the Church of God of Prophecy. Good bunch of people, uh, tremendous, uh, uh, tremendous holiness teachings, background, foundation, little legalism and some of that. But you know what? If I'm going to err, I'd rather err to the side of legalism than the side of liberty. And I won't get into all that, but there's a, there's a real truth to that. Uh, <laughs> rather be too straight than not straight enough, if that makes any sense at all. Okay? But the fact of the matter was, is that uh, some amazing things took place in my life. Uh, I got saved and people came to me and said, because uh, I was, I mean, I got radically saved. I had one of them radical experiences. And I know everybody doesn't get that. I just did, man. I mean, the night I got saved, it was, I, I was, I was, just, 
I was very athletic as a, as a kid. I, I boxed for the Butler Cubs. I, everything that was down here now used to be up here. It looked pretty good up there. <laughs> Had hair and lots of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Things have changed. <laughs> but, uh, but in the process of all that, some of the stuff that went on... Um, I'd gone to church for six months with Lori. I was raised Roman Catholic. I, I, I wasn't, uh, I'd never seen a Pentecostal service in my life. I went there, those Pentecostals scared me to death. Okay. <laughs> the second service I went to, they had a Holy Ghost barn buster. I mean, God showed up and whacked the place. And I'm like, God, if you just get me out of here, I promise I'm not coming back. Because okay. <laughs> they scared me, man. They messed me up. But in the process of that, uh, um, I, I found there was a real draw in my heart and I kept going back. But if you, if you know anything, and again, I'm, please don't hear me like I've ever picked it on my Catholic roots. My Catholic roots taught me some amazing things as well. But in the process of that, I didn't understand being born again. I didn't understand what living a surrendered life was like. I didn't understand that I could come to Christ on my own, that I didn't have to go through a mediator called a priest because I had a mediator called a priest. His name is Jesus. But they didn't teach you all that. And so it's just some differences. And I won't, I'm trying to be careful that I don't, I don't want to ever become offensive to anyone. Uh, but the idea behind it was there, there was a lot of truth there that I didn't understand. So as I'm being taught all this stuff, it's really messing with my head but I feel a draw in my heart but how many know when you're ingrained in a certain way it's hard it's much harder to unlearn than it is to learn everybody okay with that phrase yeah I'm still unlearning some stuff by the way okay but but in that um, I found that for six months from August till February I fought this thing but in February, on the night I got saved, I'm telling you, man, I got radically saved. And I'd seen people cry in church. I said, don't ever make me cry. I'm telling you, it was a mess. <laughs> it was a, I mean, I'm tears flowing, big old snot bubbles. <laughs> you know, y'all did that, you know what I mean? And they had to get mops out to clean the place. But anyway, and I got radically saved, and I got on fire for God. And people would come along and say, it's okay. One of these days, he'll calm down. His fire's going to die. Well, it's 30 years now. You know what I mean? It's 30 years now. And, and I'm telling you, it's, it's only getting sweeter. You know what I mean? But I don't think your fire has to die. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. It doesn't have to die. We, we just got to keep pressing in. Why do we do what we do? You know what I mean? Uh, because the passion that's in my heart is the greatest thing I've ever experienced. And I'd like as many people to experience that as I can. It's just got to be there. You know what I mean? I, I will tell you something. I'm attracted to passion. Passion means everything to me. When, who was here Sunday morning? A lot of you were here Sunday morning. Pam's leading worship. And I just look at her and she's doing that thing now where everybody just going to sing in the spirit. Right? Okay? And we don't do that a whole lot, but it was amazing. I mean, I'm like, it was like off the charts, man. Okay, but anyway. And I, I just looked up and I'm watching her because Pam is extremely passionate at what she does. She has a passion for that. She has a passion to go after God. That passion becomes contagious. I don't know if everybody understands that or not, but I think passion's contagious. I, I get attracted to passion. I could watch somebody paint a picture if they were passionate about painting that picture. And just be amazed. Look at the passion in them paint. Or look at the passion in them play that instrument, whatever that is. Uh, there's just different things. Like, I'm not... I want to say this the right way, but there's a... When you're passionate about something... I believe it places a draw on passionate people. That's huge to me. That's huge to me. So in the process of that, what I found is that we are surrounded here by people who are passionate about Jesus. It'll attract passionate people. If, if, if you have people who come in who aren't passionate, 
they will look at you and think you're crazy. <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, sometimes, and I laugh because if you've, if you've been to some services here at Harvest Chapel, uh, we, get pretty, we get pretty wound up and it's a pretty passionate place. And uh, sometimes folks will come in and, I'll, and Lori and I usually sit together and I'll watch folks come in and, and I love to watch first timers. First timers in a Pentecostal church because I still remember my first time. And they're like... Because <laughs> that's what happens, and and I did the same thing, you know. It's watch and pray. They pray, we watch. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but but it's it's funny, and uh, and to watch people just develop in their faith and grow is an amazing thing. I've watched people come in there here for about three songs, and they walk out, and I'll I'll look over and I'll lean over to Lori and say, "There goes the Lutherans." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because they're not ready for us. And I realize that not, can I say that? That not everybody's ready for the Pentecostal experience or whatever you want to call that. Uh, and it's okay because they'll grow. But we were able to plant a seed. And you never look at that and take offense. Can I say this? If you're ministering to somebody and you, you didn't get them where you wanted to get them, if I can say it that way. Maybe there was something you were trying to obtain. Never feel like you were rejected. Never feel like you missed it. The fact of the matter is it's all about seed, and you've got a chance to plant a seed. You've got to believe that the next person's going to come along and water that seed, and it's God who's going to give the increase. Because you don't have the ability to bring increase because Scripture said Paul planted a Paul's water. God gives the increase, okay? So all you can do is say, I was successful. Why? Because I planted the seed that God told me to plant. Do you understand that? That's just really, really huge, okay? So we stay with that. So why do we do what we do? There's a passion inside of us. I'll take you a couple of places today, and I only got, I only got a little time. So let me take you to two different... Let's go to 1 Samuel 17, to a very, very familiar story, but I'm going to take a different look at it, okay? Who knows 1 Samuel 17? What's it about? I should have 30 people saying, I know. Come on, what's 1 Samuel 17? It's about a little boy and a giant. Come on. Okay. okay, Yeah. Yeah. It's David and Goliath. Okay. First Samuel 17, David and Goliath. Okay. Yeah. So go to first Samuel 17, but I want to show you a couple of things very quickly. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time here. But I'll show you something maybe you never saw before. Maybe you have seen it and this is just re- redundant. And if it is, it's okay. But go to first Samuel 17. Okay. We're dropped down to about verse eight. Okay. Most of you know, uh, the Israelis and the Philistines have, have set the battle in array, and out comes a giant, right? They're ready to fight, and out comes a giant. First thing that shows up on the scene, here's this giant, his name's Goliath, okay? Verse 8, and he stood and he cried unto the armies of Israel, and he said, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and you servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you'll be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Right? Sets fear in all the Israelites. Everybody okay with that? If I was to ask you, why did David kill Goliath? What would you say? Somebody tell me, why did David kill Goliath? What's that? Okay, he's blaspheming God. Okay? He wasn't in covenant. Calls him an uncircumcised Philistine. So, yeah. That was, yeah. All right, I'm going to show you something you never saw before then. I'm sorry? He defies, he defies God, defies the armies of Israel. Yeah, I defy you. Okay, right? All the answers are right, but it's not, probably not the motivation. Okay? Can I show you the motivation for why David kills Goliath? Watch this. All right? Catch this, man. Go to verse 22. 
Okay? Verse 22, David shows up with some corn and some cheese and he's going to check on his brothers. David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, ran into the army, and he came and he saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion of the Philistines of Gath, Goliath by name, right? He's Goliath of Gath, right? Everybody knows that. All right? Out of the armies of the Philistines, and he spake according to the same words. What words? Why have you set to battle in array? Choose you a man, let him come fight with me. Watch what he says. He says... If I fight against him and I and, and he beats me, we'll be your servants. We're going to be your slaves. But if I beat him, then you're going to be our slaves. So you choose out a man and let him come and fight with me. Now, we all know the story of the giant is nine foot six, and he's got a 15-pound iron head on his weaver's beam, four-by-four four spear. You know what I mean? It's... The picture's immense. You know what I mean? We can think about this. We can see his... We can talk about his armor and everything else. He's just a very... Can I use this word? Intimidating. How many know he's intimidating? Okay. How many know one of the greatest tools of the devil is intimidation? Matter of fact, one of the things that keeps us from doing what we do is we're intimidated. What will people think? The fact of the matter is, the reason you didn't pray for that guy in the mall last night is you weren't sure what people might think. Or the reason we haven't stepped out of the boat the way we should uh, is because... Sometimes we're intimidated. What will people think? Uh, one of the things that I've been doing, uh, uh, we did the Power and Love Conference. I was with Abe Lippy. Some of you guys know Abe. Abe's a, a kind of a new convert here and just doing amazingly well. God's doing tremendous things in his life. But I spent the day with him on that Wednesday and just really talking to him about lifestyle, that we have to change the way we live, not just to... Can I say this? If you go out on the Power and Love and you go out and pray for all kinds of people because that's what the event's about then we've become very event-oriented. How many know God didn't call us to be event-oriented? This is a lifestyle. Okay? Jesus said, as you go. Right? One of the reasons we don't pray with people in the restaurant all the time is because nobody prays with people in the restaurant all the time. Why? Because we let that slip to the side. It's the church's fault. Actually, I'm very anxious for the day when the, when the community around us, when they're sick, they go to restaurants on Sunday afternoon because they know that's where all the church people are. Okay? <laughs> and they know somebody there's going to pray for them. Okay? And they won't be intimidated by receiving prayer in a restaurant. They will be that which should be normal. And how many know that should be normal? That really should be normal. It should be the normal lifestyle. Okay? So that we're not looking at people who are doing it as an anomaly or or a phenomenon. That that should be just normal Christianity. It's an as-you-go thing. Intimidation is a real tool of the enemy. And the enemy uses intimidation all the time. Goliath stands before the armies of Israel. It's an intimidation factor. Okay? He's intimidating the armies of Israel. Now, they're all running and hiding, okay? David hears these words, okay? And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, look at verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him. They were so afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that's come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up, okay? And it shall be, watch this, that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches. He'll give him his father's daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. How many know when he says free in Israel means he won't have to be taxed ever again? Marry the king's daughter. What's that make you? A prince. Come on, man. You're in line for the throne. Marry the king's daughter, enriched with great riches, and the whole family will never have to pay tax again. David heard that. Okay? David heard that. I honestly believe when David heard that, a light came on. Okay? Come on. We all do it. I got a picture being married to the king's daughter. Gold. He's like Scrooge McDuck swimming in the vault. You know what I mean? Come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about. Okay? Come on. And married to no taxes. Yeah. Not even to Obama. Anyway. Uh, okay. 
Take that off the tape. Okay, <laughs> but watch this. Watch this because it's pretty cool. Okay, um, so and, and David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, "What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God?" Watch this. Did you catch what he first said? What they say? <laughs> Come on, his ears perked up. All the lights are coming on. What was that reward? Anybody see that? Watch this. The second time they rehearsed it before him. Okay? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that kills him. What did they do? They said, Well, they said he'd be enriched with great riches, married a king's daughters, father has to be free from tax. Ding! <laughs> All the lights are coming on in David, right? Now watch this, okay? Okay? So Eliab, his oldest brother, comes and says, What are you doing here, you puny little runt? You should be home taking care of the sheep. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? In verse 29, David uses that famous phrase, Is there not a cause? Watch verse 30. And he turns from him toward another, and he spake after the same manner. What's, what, what does he mean, spake after the same manner? He asked that question again. What would be done? And the people answered him again after the former manner. And rich with great riches, marry the king's daughter, father's house, be free from tax. Three times in this little short moment. Anybody catch why David killed Goliath? Do you understand this, that he got a vision of the reward? Come on, man. Please hear my heart in this. I saw this years ago and I started preaching on this and I thought, wow, vision of reward. So I would take it then from there and I'd go down to Revelations chapter 20 and start preaching about the city, the new Jerusalem descending and what it looked like. And think that, man, if we can just catch a vision of the reward, what it's going to be like when we get to heaven, we'll all push in and press through. I found out the reward wasn't about us going to heaven. It was about getting heaven into us. Come on, man. Come on. The fact of the matter is, is that the greatest reward that you can have is the fact that you are a representative of Jesus Christ on the earth. You're an ambassador from another kingdom and God has come to live inside of you and wants to reveal and manifest himself through you. And and the world can see Christ through you. What a reward to represent him, to be an ambassador from heaven. So I start looking at this and I think, wow, wait a minute. This is just pretty awesome to me. If we can begin to get a picture of this. What's this thing look like? It's pretty amazing. We can actually stomp hell everywhere that we go. Let me show you why. Drop down to about verse 49. How many know, how does, how does David kill Goliath? And you're all wrong. He did not kill him with a rock. Come on. Huh? Okay, he's going to pray. He's going to pray. Now watch this because it's pretty cool. Go down to about verse, let's go down to about verse 49, okay? Because he does, he, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little, I'm, well, follow this, okay? Verse 49, okay? Well, verse 48, because that's a pretty good place to start. It came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David. David hasted, ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. How many know it doesn't sound like he was intimidated? Come on, man. He got past that intimidation factor. That's a huge message right there. It's when we get past the intimidation factor that everything starts to happen. Okay? Some of us are still stuck on the intimidation factor. I could spend some time there, but I don't need to. David put his hand in his bag. He took that stone, slung it, and smote the Philistine in his forehead. And that stone sunk into the forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. How many of you know the story that David had five stones in his bag? Because he was afraid he might miss four times. Come on, that ain't true. Goliath had four brothers. 
I can show you that scripturally. As a matter of fact, I can tell you who killed every one of them. The fact of the matter is, I honestly believe he figured if he's got four brothers over the hill, I better get five stones. Okay? And, and he has five stones, and they're smooth stones, and boy, I can preach on this because I haven't in a long Do you know that he took five smooth stones out of the brook? Do you know why they were smooth? Because they'd been in the brook for a long time. And it was pressure that took all the rough edges off the stones. Somebody needs to hear what I'm talking about. It was pressure that took the rough edges off the stones. Sometimes when you're going through the pressures of life, you've got to understand some of the rough edges are coming off of you. Because those stones had to fly aerodynamically perfect. And the only way that they could accomplish what they were meant to do and fly aerodynamically perfect was that they would have pressure to take the rough edges off. Come on. Some of us are still getting the rough edges off. You all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Pressures of life will take some of the rough edges and we learn to flow. Come on. You know what I mean? Come on. Because we got to. Do we have any perfectionists in the house? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Because I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes the perfectionist is a struggle because when everything isn't lining up just exactly right, we have trouble flowing. You know what I mean? And some of those rough edges will start to show. Okay? Pressure's taking them rough edges so we learn to flow. Okay? They're, oh, man, I could spend time there and I just don't have time to spend that time because I want to get somewhere. Watch this. He, he goes down. He takes a, sling, a stone. He smote. Okay? So David prevailed. Okay, the stone sunk into his forehead. He fell upon his face to the earth. And David prevailed over to him, the Philistine, with a sling and with a stone. And he smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran, stood upon the Philistine. This is a neat picture. He's actually standing on Goliath's chest. Does anybody see it that way? He says he stood upon the Philistine. Okay, I think he's standing on him. He grabs the Philistine's sword. Watch this. I love this. Okay, and, and, and he took his sword. Okay. He takes Goliath's sword, drew it out of the sheath thereof, and slew him and cut off his head therewith. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Everybody see that? So David kills Goliath with Goliath's own sword. Now, it does say that he slew him with the stone, but then it says he slew him by, by cutting off his head. So you can take that either way, but I'm thinking this. If you hit him with a stone, you might have just knocked him out. If you cut his head off, he ain't getting up. Okay? <laughs> you know, I'm just thinking, hey, I don't care who prays for him now, even David Hogan. But, no, just kidding. Okay, but, but anyway, at this point, Goliath is dead. Okay, He stinks his head off. Now, what's really cool, there's a reason I'm telling you this. The men of Israel and of Judah arose, and they shouted, and they pursued the Philistines until they came to the valley of the gates of Ekron. I could spend some time with all that because there's special names here, but watch this. Uh, the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines. They spoiled their tents. And David, this is where I want to go, verse 54. David took the head of the Philistine, and he brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. David took the head of, Phil, of the Philistine. As a matter of fact, another place is going to tell us, they put the head on a pole, okay? And he carries it through Jerusalem as a sign of their victory over the Philistines, okay? It's amazing. He is carrying this as a, as a sign of victory. It's a banner. It's, a, it's an amazing thought. He parades through Jerusalem. Goliath the Philistine is dead. Goliath the giant is dead. And we have prevailed over the Philistines. Okay? What happened to it? What would happen to that head? Okay? Let me teach you a little bit about Jewish culture. This is amazing to me. It's one of, one of, one of the, probably one of the strongest revelations God ever gave me in my life. 
Jewish culture says that head is now considered an unclean thing. How many hours do you have to bury an unclean thing? 24. It's a 24 hours. Within 24 hours, there has to be a burial now, okay, of this head. All right? I'm going to tell you why. And here's, here's the way to show you that. Remember that Lazarus dies in John chapter 11? Okay? So they wanted Jesus to come and heal them while he was still sick. But Jesus didn't get there while he was sick. Do you know they didn't wait for, for, for Jesus to show up to do the funeral? Yeah, Jesus was no good at doing funerals, by the way. He messed up everyone he went to. Okay? okay? But, but at this point, they have to bury Lazarus. They have 24 hours to bury him. Okay? And that's culture. Matter of fact, that culture is still prominent in certain areas of, of, of the world today. Within 24 hours, there has to be a barrel because there was no embalming or anything. And they believed that the body would begin to decay and corrupt. So corruption sets in, um, okay, within three days. But you have to get them buried within 24 hours. So they're going to have to bury the head of Goliath. Where was Goliath's head at at this point? Jerusalem, right? In Jerusalem. But proper burial is never inside the city. It's always outside the city. So they have to go outside the city gates to some place and bury the head of Goliath. Okay? Stay with me. I love this. Because a thousand years later, there's another man that would come. Bartimaeus called him son of David. He's of the house and the lineage of David. Okay? He too is going to die. He's going to die outside the city. And he's going to shed his blood. You got to remember that Goliath stood for Goliath represented everything that Satan could throw at you. There's fear, there's intimidation, there's there's violence, there's there's murder. I mean, Goliath stands for everything that Satan can throw at you. Do you understand that? He is a representative of Satan on the earth. Okay, he has come to defy the armies of the living God. Y- y'all right? Goliath represents everything that Satan can throw at you. A thousand years later, see, David slew Goliath. A thousand years later, the son of David would come. He gives his life's blood on a hill outside the city. His blood would flow. Where did Jesus die? Where at? Golgotha. Golgotha. What's the name Golgotha mean? Place of the skull. Where to get the name Golgotha? Of Gath. Goliath of Gath. Golgotha. The place of the skull. They bury his head outside Jerusalem. Golgotha. Now the blood of Jesus flows, covering everything that Satan represented on the earth. To say that you have authority and victory. Over everything the enemy can throw at you. So that no matter what the enemy's trying to throw at you, no matter what the enemy's trying to bring your way, you have victory, you have power, you have authority over everything that Satan can throw at you because the blood of Jesus has now covered Golgotha. Why do we do what we do? It's our job description. Go to First John chapter 3, verse 8. 1 John 3 and 8 is the Christian's job description. If you need to write this in your Bible, just write job description and circle 1 John 3 and 8, okay? Because I did, okay? I do a lot of that in my Bible, by the way. It's like I got little side notes everywhere. Who knows 1 John 3 and 8 without looking at it? Okay, we're going to talk about Scripture memorization one of these classes, okay? 1 John 3 and 8, for this purpose was the Son of Man made manifest. How many know what the word made manifest means? Revealed. 
Okay? The word manifest there means revealed. For this purpose was the Son of Man revealed. That's Jesus. You know that that was, uh, that was by the way, his, his favorite personal title. He refers to himself more as the Son of Man than any other phrase. But isn't he the Son of God? But he's the Son of Man. But he's the Son of God. But he's the Son of Man. What's that mean? He's 100% God, but he's 100% man. Okay? If you go to Isaiah chapter 9, you know what it says? For unto us a child is born, right? Son of man. Unto us a son is given, son of God. For this purpose was the son of man revealed, made manifest. Why? That he might destroy the works of the devil. Everybody see that? Do you know what your job description is? Destroy the works of the devil. That's what we're called to do. Every one of us is called to destroy the works of the devil. Matter of fact, that's, that's the whole purpose of the Christian life. That's the whole purpose. We are here to destroy hell and let heaven be represented on the earth again. Do you understand that that's what this thing's all about? The fact of the matter is, is that Adam and Eve were placed in a perfect environment. That's what Bob was preaching about on Sunday morning until sin came and messed that all up. But the fact of the matter was, is that God wanted to take an invisible kingdom and make it visible on planet earth. And then Satan came and messed that all up. Now it's our job to take it back. Everybody okay with that? I mean, it's real simple. Destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose was the Son of Man made manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So, you know what? Christ in you is what? The hope of glory. What's that mean? Let's go out and destroy the works of the devil. Let glory fill the earth. Isn't that really God's plan and purpose? And it all has to do with Christ in you. And it has to be, be the fact of the matter is we're called to destroy the works of the devil. We weren't called to just pray a prayer, get our name in the book, and go to heaven. <laughs> it's so much more. You see that? I mean, it's, it's really pretty simple. So Jesus comes, sheds his blood, covers everything. Do you understand that everything you need to live and walk in victory has already been bought and paid for? Everything. Everything you need to live and walk in victory has already been bought and paid for by the blood of the Lamb. It's amazing to me. Matter of fact, we ought to be changing the world everywhere that we go. If I was to ask you this question, is your community a better place because you live there? I hope you don't struggle to answer that. I hope you don't have to struggle to answer that. It should be an absolutely. Because we should be destroying hell everywhere that we go and seeing heaven just increase. Because that's what we're called to. We're called to increase the kingdom of God on the earth. We're called to destroy hell and, and, and make a difference. And you can see that through Golgotha, place of the skull. It's all covered. You have the right to flow in all. See, that's why Luke 10 and 19, that's probably, if, if somebody said, Pastor, what's your favorite verse? I said, um, a whole bunch of them. <laughs> okay? But one of my favorite verses is Luke 10 and 19. Jesus says, behold, I give you power. Do you know that that word power there is actually the Greek word exousia, and it means authority? So he says, behold, I'm giving you authority over all the power, and that's a Greek word dunamis. Somebody said, the devil doesn't have any power. That's a lie. Jesus said he does. Jesus said the devil has power, because he said, I'm giving you authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Okay, power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I was... uh, I was probably, well, I was 18 years old when I got saved. So I was probably about 19 years old. I was still working out at the Y. Um, there was a guy there named Coyle Lamison. Uh, I was the YMCA in Butler. 
And uh, Coyle Lamison was like huge, man. I mean, this guy was like amazingly huge. Uh, he, he looked like an oak tree with legs, okay? <laughs> you know, uh, had one of them Coke glass things. And Coyle was about 40 years old, but he had been a power lifter. He'd been an Olympic weightlifter. He'd done amazing stuff and, and just was absolutely huge. But he was a very, very devout Christian. And uh, he would come in and give people tracks. Now, when a guy that's this broad at the shoulder, with biceps like this, says, take this track, you just say, yes, sir. Thank you. <laughs> he says, get saved. Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> just don't hit me. Okay. <laughs> right. So, so anyway, in the process of that, Coyle is in the Y. He's working out. He's always been there. He come in one day. And it's funny because he drove a little Volkswagen bug. How many know what I'm talking about? You know what I mean? And again, back then in the early 80s, there were a lot of them around. But uh, So you'd see this great big guy getting out of this little Volkswagen bug. I'm like, holy smoke. You know what I mean? But you didn't laugh at him. Okay? Because <laughs> he was just huge. You're like, you look good in that, sir. You look really good, sir. <laughs> but, but in the process of that, he's in that. And he, um, um, he came in one day. And Coyle's always just very pleasant, just a nice guy. He came in and he slammed his locker door. And I'm in the I'm in the locker room. And he slammed his locker door. And I mean, and he's thumped a couple of things down. And I thought, he is not happy about something. So I'm just going to leave. Okay. <laughs> so so I went out in the weight room. And Coyle, I, I worked out with the Nautilus equipment. If you guys are familiar with that, it's all the machines. You know what I mean? But he didn't. He did free weights. And he's banging free weights around everywhere. You know what I mean? And Coyle never banged anything. He was always pretty gentle with the equipment. You know, he's been a weightlifter for years. And he knows how to take care of stuff. And he's dropping stuff on purpose. You know what I mean? And I could tell he was really frustrated. And finally, I just went over and I said, man, you doing okay, bud? You seem a little bent out of shape. And he said, oh, he said... And the main highway outside of Butler was 422, okay? And he says, I'm coming down 422. He says, and uh, he said, I wasn't really paying attention. He says, and I looked in the mirror, and, and there's a cop pulling me over. Lights are on. And he says, I pulled over. And he said, this little puny woman, about five foot two, about 100 pounds, comes up there and she starts, <laughs> she, she, she starts pointing her finger in my face. And she's just fussing at me because he, he was speeding. And she wrote him out a speeding ticket. And, 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 she, and, he, and he starts telling me what it looked like. And he said, she's standing there telling me, you were speeding and I'm giving you a ticket. And he said, and she's pointing her finger at me and I'm thinking, I could pick her up and throw her over the hill. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because she's only five foot two, hundred pounds. You know, he's like, and, and he's talking about that, and he's kind of going on about. And he says, and I'm sitting there, and she's got me squirming in my seat. She's giving me a lecture. I'm thinking, just give me the ticket, you know. <laughs> and he's frustrated, and now he's got to pay the ticket, and he's not happy about any of that. And and I watched him, and just watched his mannerisms and stuff. And this guy's, I mean, talking maybe one of the biggest guys I've ever met in my life. You know what I mean? And I'm picturing this, and later on, I got a picture of this. Here's a little tiny woman making a great big man squirm. Why? And he could pick her up and throw her over the hill. But he didn't. Why? Because she had authority. Because those that were in charge gave her authority over that man. Do you understand that he that's in charge has given you authority over all the power of the enemy? The problem is we've allowed the enemy to intimidate us where we shouldn't have. But when you think of Golgotha now, and you understand Goliath of Gath, and you now have authority, this is what Jesus says. It's not what I said, it's what Jesus said. Okay? But it's huge and it's powerful. So now we become that authorized representative of heaven on the earth to walk in authority. And what's he say? Destroy the works of the devil. 
We're called to destroy the works of the devil everywhere that we go. Okay? So uh, go with me. Let's just go a little bit farther and we'll follow through with this because you got your job description down. Go to Luke chapter 10. Let me show you something. This is amazing to me. Another familiar portion of Scripture. Who knows Luke chapter 10? What's it about? The end of the chapter. Okay, Good Samaritan, right. Okay. <laughs> Let's go to about verse 25. I think we'll start there because we've got a little time. We'll cover this, this in its entirety. The world wants to challenge you. They want to test your faith. Can I say this? I really believe the world wants to know if you really believe what you say you believe. Remember that I talked a little bit about passion a little while ago? I'm telling you, man. I'm going to say this. Just because you went to a believer's convention doesn't make you a believer. Y'all follow what I just said? A lot of times what what we've called believers, we haven't necessarily represented believers to the world. Okay, maybe maybe some of the stuff that we say we believe we've been a little bit unsure of. And I'm going to tell you something, man, we've got to get firm in what you believe. See, <laughs> I, had a, I had an overseer when I talked about I mentioned to you my early roots for Church of God. Um, we had overseers that were over us. I had an overseer named Howard J. Hunt. You remember Brother Hunt? Yeah. Uh, he used to say. You got to know that you know that you know that you know, <laughs> you know, and, and and that's a huge phrase to me. But I'm going to tell you something, man. Two years ago, the Lord gave me an open vision. I don't get a lot of open visions, but this one was really, really clear. I guess it's probably about two and a half years ago now. But he showed me uh, a, a, a large mass of people together, and then there was a division and it kept growing and growing and growing. And there was a group of people on this side and a group of people on this side. And in that open vision, the Lord spoke to me and said, the dividing line is becoming more and more defined in the body of Christ. Do you understand what I just said? I'm going to tell you something, man. Uh, this, we're, we're living in such a time of acceleration that you've got to jump in with both feet and get your mind firmly planted. I know what I believe. You know, Paul says, I know whom I have believed in, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. You, you got to know what you believe. You got to know that you know that you know that you know. You got to make up your mind, man. Be firmly planted and, and not waver back and forth. And don't allow circumstances, don't allow the situations around you, don't even allow people around you to determine what you believe. You got to know this is my heart and God. This is my heart and God. And you know what? We, we used to sing, when, when, when we baptized people, we used to sing that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. You know what I mean? Though no one join me, still I will follow. You've got a purpose in your heart. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I don't care what everybody else is believing. My mama told me if everybody else jumped off a cliff, are you going to jump off a cliff? I don't care what everybody else is doing. I know what I believe in, and I know I've got to pursue with my own heart everything that I believe. And I can't just think that I believe. I've got to know that I believe. Okay? The dividing line is becoming more and more defined. I'm going to tell you. And he didn't say outside the body of Christ. He didn't say believers and non-believers. He said in the body. The dividing line was becoming more and more defined. Okay? That was a real strong thing for me, but I believe that. Go with me to Luke chapter 10. Okay? He says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The lawyer stood up tempting him. I'm going to tell you something. The world's going to still tempt you. And I don't mean you're going to be tempted to sin. I mean, they're going to really, they want to know what do you really believe. Do you really believe what you believe? 
I have a lady that's uh, been, been coming here for a little while. Um, she actually said something in a class. I wasn't there. Um, Mary Crichton was teaching. And the, the lady uh, said, I met Pastor Don some time ago. And you could probably share it better than I can, but I know the story because several different people kind of shared and relayed the same message. She said, I watched him and I watched his church for four years till I decided I would come because I wanted to know if this thing was real or not. How many know? I had no idea. I had no clue at all that she was watching. But she said, I wanted to know if there was really love in that place. I wanted to know if, this, if there was really love in his heart. And, and she said, I watched for four years till I was thoroughly convinced this thing is real. Do you understand that the world's still watching? The world still wants to be thoroughly convinced. And you know what? You've all heard this phrase, but you might be the only Bible they're reading. So you want to represent heaven well. Okay? Watch this. The lawyer stood up with no other reason but to tempt him. And he said, he said what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, what's written in the law? What do you, how do you read it? He answered and said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said unto him, you have answered right. Do this and you'll live. Can I go here and just say, love God, love people? It is a love walk. We're called for a love walk. But Jesus didn't stop there. He said, it's a love walk. We're going to have to love people. We're going to have to really make this thing very, very real. It's got to be so, so genuine, so real. But watch what he says, because now it gets really cool. But he, willing to justify himself, said, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves. Those thieves stripped him of his raiment. They wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. By chance, there came down a certain priest that way. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he was, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. When he saw him, had compassion on him. Went to him, bound up his wounds, poured into oil and the wine, and set him on his own beast. Brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him. Whatever you spend more, when I come again, I'll repay you. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? He said, He that showed mercy on him. Jesus said, Go thou. And do like, go and do thou likewise. Okay? Now, we probably all heard this. We know this story as the Good Samaritan. I will change the way you see this and you will call it the Great Samaritan. There's a reason. Okay? He says a certain man. Some of you that have been with me, I've preached this before. Who was the certain man? The certain man that fell among thieves was Adam. Okay? Make some notes on this and just play it out. We're going to play it out in our head, okay? Go with me, because the revelation of this is incredible to me. The certain man's Adam. The reason the certain man is Adam is because the city Jericho. What, what was Jericho known for? What, tell me what happened to Jericho. The walls fell, right? They marched around Jericho seven times and the walls fell down. Everybody okay with that? What happened afterward? They plundered the city, right? What happened afterward? Joshua makes a decree. Do you remember? Anybody know what the decree was? Cursed is the man that rebuilds this city. Cursed is the city. Cursed is the family of the man that rebuilds the city. He goes on and decrees a curse over the city, Jericho. Jericho is now known as the city of the curse. What's Jerusalem known as? What's Jerusalem mean? It's the city of peace. Okay? That's what it means. Jerusalem is the city of peace. 
So watch this. Jericho's the place of curse. Jerusalem's the city of peace. Who's a certain man? Adam. Who has now transgressed in the garden, and he's now going from the place of curse. What's God's plan? Redemption. To take him where? To the place of peace. Along the way, he fell among thieves. Who's the thief? The thief comes to what? So he fell among thieves. What do the thieves represent? Satan. Demonic host. Call it whatever you want to. Okay? Watch this. Adam is now on the journey. Adam is the man who represents all men, right? He's now on the way. He represents mankind. And the enemy has come, okay? He's going from the place of the curse to the place of peace, okay? And watch what happens. Fell among thieves. The thieves are messing with that, okay? Now watch. Who stripped him of his raiment? What was Adam clothed with in the garden? The glory of God. Right? If you, if you look at it, as a matter of fact, if you were in Genesis chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, it says, Adam and Eve were what? Naked and not ashamed. I'm going to teach on that one day. I'm going to teach on the marriage covenant a little bit about that. And we're going to talk about that. But, but I'm going to show you this. In the, but, but they're naked. They're not ashamed. Why? Because they're clothed in the glory of God. It's actually called the kabod. C-H-A-B-O-D. It's the weighty presence. It's the glory. It's the kabod of God. They're clothed in the kabod of God. They're clothed in the glory. But now, what happened when sin came, when he fell among thieves? What happened? The glory lifted. Stripped him of his raiment. And then what's it say? Left him what? Half dead. How do you leave somebody half dead? What's that mean? He was spiritually dead, physically alive. Half dead. You following me? Okay, everybody all right? So get the picture of this. You got Adam. He's, he's and, and okay, certain man named Adam. All right? Left him half dead. By chance, there came down a certain priest that way when he saw him pass by on the other side. I said, Lord, what's the priest? Abraham. Okay. Abraham is a man with a covenant. God makes a covenant with Abraham. I don't even know why. I've studied that out of thought. Where's this covenant come from? It's because he promised the seed in Genesis chapter 3. So he makes a covenant with Abraham for the promise of the seed to be fulfilled. Okay. And he makes a covenant with Abraham. And Abraham represents the Jewish people, but how many know that covenant with Abraham was for the Jews? It wasn't for everybody. As a matter of fact, when Jesus came, he even told his disciples, don't go to the Gentiles. Go not to the way of the Gentiles, but go thou rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why? Covenant. How many understand? God's a God of covenant. God's all about covenant. That book that I'm looking at right there is a book of covenants. He's a covenant-keeping God who has a book of covenants and binds us by covenant. Covenant's huge. It's immense. It's incredible. Watch this. In the midst of that, he comes and he, he passes by this fallen man. Okay? On the other side. He saw him, but he passed by on the other side. Until Christ would come and give his life, there was no redemption for a Gentile. I don't care how good you were. I don't care what happened. Matter of fact, do you remember the Syrophoenician woman? Who comes to Jesus because her daughter's grievously vexed with the devil? Do you understand that she's a Gentile who reached outside of her dispensation for a miracle? What did Jesus say? <laughs> I'm not come, but for, I'm not. It's not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to you, Gentile dogs. That's what she was saying. That's what he was telling her. She said, yeah, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs and fall from the, I love that. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. That's got to mess you up. Go ahead, Deb. I was reading how um, 
when Noah was told to take the queen and the unclean onto the boat. Right? Is that a parallel between the Jews and the Gentiles and the animals on the boat? I believe it is. I, I believe that that was a parallel. And it was showing us because the boat represented Christ. Okay? Christ is the ark, and that, that's another message for another day, but absolutely, because everybody comes into the ark. Who, there's, a, there's an invitation for all to come, I should say. Okay, there's an invitation for everybody to come. But at this point, right, here's the, here, here's, here's the idea. Here's Abraham, okay? He passes by on the other side because he can't do anything. How many know the covenant with the Jews could do nothing about fallen man? I got a covenant with God, right? If I'm a Jew, I'm in a covenant with God, but it doesn't remove my sin. It doesn't change me. We're still under the law. Can I say that? So what happens next? A certain priest comes by. Who's the priest? Moses. Why? Because he represents the law. And the priests were there representing the law of God on the earth. Moses is the lawgiver, right? And the priests come out of Moses, out of Aaron, if I can, okay, the Aaronic priesthood. But it's all through Moses because the law is now given to Moses. He's the lawgiver, right? And God gives Moses the law. And what do we find in that? We find now that the law comes. Watch what happens. It says, likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, passed by on the other side. What's that mean? The law could show us our sin, but it couldn't do anything about it. The law could show me that I was a sinful man, but it had no power to change my life. Do you understand that? Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is all about that. There's several chapters in the book of Hebrews, I think three or four chapters. See, Hebrews is all about Jesus is better. If you want to write something above the book of Hebrews, write Jesus is better. Because that's what it is. It's Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than angels. The New Testament is better than the Old Testament. It's really showing us that Jesus is better. He's got a better covenant. Okay? So, in the midst of that, watch this, because that's what that's all about. But what he's saying is, here comes the law, but the law can't change my heart. The law can't change my mind. The law can't change the way I live. The law can't change the way I act. As a matter of fact, it says the law could make no man perfect. What's it say? Here comes Moses, and he looks on him. He could show me what was wrong with me, but he couldn't do anything to change my life. Right? Fallen man. Okay? Passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan as he journeyed. Oh, I love that. Who knows what a Samaritan was? Half Jew, half Gentile. Do you know that in life you're either a Jew or a Gentile? Or a Samaritan if you're half Jew, half Gentile. Well, does that represent all mankind? There was one man who came to represent us all. Who's the man that came to represent all men? Come on, man. A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed from heaven to earth, came for what purpose? For fallen man. Watch this. Going to restore us. Going to restore fallen man. The Samaritan that comes now is actually Jesus, a certain Samaritan. That's what he's talking about. As he journeyed, came where he was, came to fallen man. He didn't wait for us to come to him. He came to us. Right? He comes to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. He came to us. Right? He comes where he was when he saw him, had compassion on him. Yay! (laughs) Do you understand that while I was a sinner, he still loved me? It's not like I got saved and then he said, oh, good, now I can love you. Yes, an amazing thing is there's absolutely nothing you can do to make God love you more. Or anything you can do to make him love you less. Do you understand that God doesn't even have love? God is love. There's a difference. That's a huge statement right there. Consuela, go ahead. Well, you said that certain priests, first you say it was Abraham, then you say it was Moses. So. The Levites, Moses. 
Yeah, the Levite, because the Levites represented the law. The pre- Abraham represents the priesthood, but Moses represents the law. Okay? Yeah. Now watch. This is pretty cool. Okay? So what we have right now is a certain Samaritan comes, has compassion. Okay? And in his compassion, he's moved. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in the oil and the wine. Boy, that'll preach. (laughs) Start seeing it from that perspective for just a minute if you can. Jesus comes to us and sees us in our fallen state and says, man, I can't leave you like that. That's why he came. He didn't come to take us to heaven. He came to restore us to the Father. He's going to restore our relationship. He's going to restore us to a place in God that we haven't been before. He's going to restore us to the state of Adam before the fall. I'm I'm redeemed. Do you understand redemption's all about that? Dan said it yesterday. I've said this a lot because I heard him say it first. And it's an amazing phrase. But the fact of the matter is, I'm standing with Adam in the midst of the garden. It's like I never ate the fruit. It's redemption in its purest form. I'm standing with Adam in the midst of the garden. And I never ate the fruit. He looks at me like as if I've never sinned. That's justification. The Samaritan is so moved. And and he he comes to me. He pours in the oil and the wine. (laughs) Do you understand? When you get saved, it's not like just Jesus comes and lives in you. When I got saved... I invited Jesus to come and live inside of me. Is that okay to say it that way? Y'all, y'all, because we've said that. But you know that Jesus said, it's not just me coming. He said, I and the Father will come and will make our abode with you. So now I have the Father and the Son living in me. And then he says, and he, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he shall be with you, for he shall be in you. So now I got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit living inside of me. Yeah. When I got saved, I had a 32-inch waist, but I had to make room. There's a lot of folks living in here. You know what I mean? Come on. Jeez. Okay, yeah. Got to give them room here. Father, Son, Holy Spirit living inside of me. This is big stuff, man. He's, yeah. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, he's a big God. Okay. Yeah. This is huge. Because our part comes now. Watch this. Went to him, bound up his wounds, poured in the oil and the wine, set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. That's huge. How many know what the inn represents? It's the church, man. Come on. We're innkeepers. We're called to be the innkeepers. What are we supposed to do? Take care of fallen man. Everybody see this? It gets clear. Like, I, I preached this for years and never saw it. Don't you love when the lights start coming on, like, ding, 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 and it all starts to fit? Watch this, because it gets stronger. Okay? On the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him. Did you hear your commission? Why do we do what we do? Jesus said so. Take care of him. Take care of fallen man. Get fallen man restored to the relationship with the Father. It's the Word of God. He says to you and I, take care of fallen man. Do something about fallen man. Please hear me. I get so frustrated because for years I was a part of the mentality of, they know where we're at. If they want us, they'll come to us. We hung a sign out twice a year. It said, revival, come now. <laughs> I mean, I know they beat a path to our door. Yeah, right. <laughs> it just didn't happen. 
take care of fallen man. He's saying do something about fallen man. Watch this because it gets pretty cool. He took out two pens, okay? Gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him. A pence was a day's wage. Two pence was two days wages. Okay? Watch this. Take care of him. And whatsoever you spend more, when I come again, I'll repay you. Can I mess with your head a little bit? I'm going to go. I I, I wasn't really going to go here, but I just kind of feel really compelled to do this. If he gave him two days wages and said, take care of him because I'm going to come back. And if it takes a little longer, it's okay. I'll repay you when the time comes. Everybody see that? Because you know where my mind went on that, don't you? If a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day, and, and I don't think that scripture is in Peter by accident. I think it's there on purpose. And he said, here's two days wages. If it takes a little longer, don't worry. I'll repay you. It's going to be worth it. It kind of puts us in, into a little bit of a thought of where we are on God's timetable. Because it's been about 2,000 years. Everybody okay with where I'm at on that? Just let your mind kind of wander on that. But I, I get kind of excited. I'm thinking, oh. <laughs> let me tell you one of the great tragedies of the church. One of the great tragedies of the church is we read John's writing. And John said, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And I understood why John was saying that because of the great persecution of the church. Today our job is to go out and affect the world around us in a major way. Why do we do what we do? We're called to do what we do. It's the will, the plan, and the purpose of heaven. We've been given all the authority to go out and stomp hell everywhere that we go. We've been given all authority to go out and make a difference. Golgotha. The blood's been shed. Everything that Satan can throw at you has been covered. You understand that? You've been given authority. Luke 10 and 19. Jesus says, now watch this. He says, now which of these three was my neighbor? He said, the the third. He said, go and do thou likewise. You understand that we've been told by the Lord to go and make a difference everywhere that we're here. And the idea behind this is, is that as we're going, we're the innkeepers. We're supposed to be taking care of fallen man. Okay? And, and watch this. He says, go and do thou likewise. We're called to do this. In the process of doing this, in the process of walking this thing out. And how I many you know this isn't something that you walk out once in a while. This is an everyday thing. It's never supposed to be a ministry event. It's never supposed to be something that we're that we do as a. Uh, can I say this? That it's like the group goes out and does it. This is an everyday as you go gospel. One of the things that will become so paramount and so important is that as we're going through these classes and we're going through this time, we're affirming our identity. We're understanding our position. We're understanding our authority and what God's called us to do. And then it's a matter of just living it every day. But in the process of that, if I can go here and help you with this. We read the words of John, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And the prayer of the church has been rapture now, (laughs) you know. But what are we going to do with all the lost around us? What are we going to do about all the people who aren't ready? Maybe what we ought to be praying is, wait a little longer, please, Jesus. Because my loved ones aren't, aren't all in yet. I've got a couple of brothers that aren't saved. I've got some loved ones that aren't saved. I've got some friends or family that's not right with God. We got to get them in the boat, man. If Deb's right, and I'm sure she is, is that if the ark represents Christ, then they ain't all in the ark yet, and there's a flood about to hit this world. How many know when the flood came, it wasn't Noah that shut the door, it was God. Because if Noah shut the door, then Noah would have had the power to open the door, but Noah didn't shut the door, God did, because only God could reopen that door. 
you understand how many people are in the church but aren't in Christ? Oh, that's a strong statement. That's Matthew seven twenty one. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, open unto us. Haven't we prophesied in your name? In your name cast out devils. In your name we did many wonderful works. And what did he say? Get out of here, you backsiders. You used to run with me, but you don't anymore. Come on. He didn't say that. He said, I never knew you. See the difference? I'm telling you, man, we're called to make a difference. Stomp hell everywhere that you go. Make a difference. It's got to happen. Let me do this, and we're gonna, I'm gonna, we'll take a short break, and Todd's going to come on. The fact of the matter is, when we start seeing what Jesus said and how he's called us, the ultimate question is, how are you going to respond to what God's called you to do? We have sat back. And it's, it's I, I stand before you as transparent as I know how to be. I've been pastoring for I don't know, about 25, 26 years now, I guess, something like that. It's only probably been in the last six, seven years that I really understood my position in the body of Christ. But my position in the body of Christ wasn't because I was a pastor. It was because I became a real Christian. Understanding my job description. My job now is just to try to help you understand it the way I see it. And maybe we can all change the way we think and start making an impact. In it. Do you understand what I'm saying? One of the things that kind of troubles my heart sometimes is uh, I even look at our own church here, Harvest Chapel, and I thank God. I think we're, I think we're making a slight impact and making a difference. But I've often wondered if we shut our doors tomorrow, how would that affect our community? Do you understand what I just said? If we shut our doors tomorrow, how would that impact or affect Abbottstown, Hanover, Littlestown, Gettysburg, York, East Berlin, Dillsburg? You know, it might affect the handful that come here, but I want to know what's the impact. The fact of the matter is the impact of a church is never about the building. Because you can build phenomenal buildings. We've got some phenomenal buildings around us. But I want to know is, what are we pouring into the people that are in our Metron, your Metron's your area of influence, that are in our Metron so that we're impacting... Do you understand that? Commit thou to faithful men that they may tell others. What Paul literally told Timothy was, the things that are in me, I'm going to pour into you. So you can pour into two more, so they can each pour into two more. See, Amway didn't have this idea first, <laughs> okay? It was biblical long before Amway. <laughs> okay. Y'all follow what I'm saying? That's what Paul was saying. We've got to make a difference, man. We're called to stomp out, make a difference everywhere that we go, okay? All right, it's 20 after 10. Take a break. Come on back at 1030, okay? And Todd will be on. Thanks, guys. Bless you, man. Good morning. Hey, buddy. How are you? Doing good? It's nice to see you, man. Mm. I see lots of people that I, that I know and lots of new people that I've never met and going to get to know. I think it's great that you're here. I think God's going to wreck you and so you'll be no good for nothing else. That doesn't mean you won't be able to do your job. That means that you'll do your job unto God. And you'll be no good to any foreman that doesn't believe in God because you'll just believe in God no matter what your foreman believes, no matter what your boss believes, and you'll do your job under the Lord. And no matter how they persecute and no matter how they press, you won't waver, you won't move. You'll just walk this thing out. 
There's power in that. A lot of people are pressing to get out of their job. I, I hear it more and more in my heart everywhere I go. A lot of people want to, they see like they see the speaker or they see the preacher's life and they say, I want in full-time ministry. Nope. I want to tell you right now that God is shifting stuff, man. He's shifting the perspective of his bride to the place where they're going to allow their job to be their mission field. It's really important and really powerful to hear this because a lot of people want to do the full-time ministry thing. And I want to tell you right now that God wants you to be in full-time ministry at your job. He wants you to walk this thing out like Jesus would walk this thing out on your job, regardless of how angry and how mean the people around you are. That You would manifest Christ, and the more they'd squeeze you, the more Christ would come out. It's the power of the gospel. It's a life change, no matter where you are, no matter what you do, that you're not moved by circumstance, you're moved by Him. You're moved by the love of God, where the love of Christ compels you. The love of God compels you. It's in the gospel. It's the reason why we're alive, to be compelled by the love of God. I'm so serious, man. (laughs) I was back there talking to my friend Pam and Dean, and I said, I have nothing today. I'm back there reading and nobody in my Bible, and God's actually done that. He's blinded when I'm reading the Word. Like, if I'm reading... Before I go to a service or reading in the morning before I'm going to minister that day. And I'll, I'll, because sometimes I'll just be like, God, I don't even know what you want me to share today. I'm just reading through and skimming through and, oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. And it's like I'll get done reading it and God will shut it off so I can't even remember what I just read. So that I can't rely upon the scripture that I'm reading, but I have to rely upon the scripture that is inside of me, which is so weird, but it's so good. But it makes you feel so out of control that he can be in control. That's a weird feeling for us to like to be in control. (laughs) That's another one. A lot of times we want to be in control. We want to know what to do. We want to know how to do it. Never, ever, ever. And Dan will say it over and over again. And I'm so glad that he's the one that's going to be here. And Pastor Donovan's the one that's going to be here. They're going to be speaking in because Dan will tell you never, ever, ever study your Bible to preach. Never, ever study to preach a sermon. Always read the Word and allow the Word to become who you are so that you become the manifestation of the Word itself. It's a good Word. It is. They don't do worship in the mornings. Man. What you should do is pray that in, that you'd be here at 8.30 and do worship at 8.30 so only the hungry would come. Pam. Come on in the morning, Deb. Serious. What if you guys came here a half an hour early? Because I think what's going to happen is that, and I'm, I'm, maybe I'm prophesying right now, but I think what's going to happen is that worship is going to start earlier than 9 because the class has to run from 9 to 12. So we have a three-hour time period in order to get things done and some breaks in between. But what's going to happen, maybe if you guys were hungry enough, you could actually birth a worship service between 8.30 and 9 and then enter into class. So I just want to encourage you to maybe shoot for that because to start worship at 9, it, it, it would just roll, but we'd have to keep it in like a 30-minute period or something like that. And I didn't even run this by Pastor Don, so I hope you'd be okay with what I'm sharing right now. <laughs> and he's not in the room right now, so you just could pray it in, okay? <laughs> it's okay, to, but it's early, you know, and, and this is something, man. The, the Bible says that early will I wake. 
early while I wake. And early is not good for lots of people. Even my house. Because where I live, I, I get home at 11.30 or 12 at night. And my kids are used to staying up till 12.30 at night. Because I get home on a Sunday night at 12 o'clock at night. They're used to daddy coming home at 12 and staying up for an hour and going to bed at 1. And then waking up at 10.30 whatever so our schedule is different so early at our house would even be different but there's something about waking up and saying god so good to be with you this morning <laughs> all right let me stop rambling how um what's the reason i'm going to ask questions what's the reason that you're a christian why are you a christian Someone give me an answer. Someone raise your hand and give me an answer. Someone just give me an answer. Why? To make disciples of all. Okay. What's another one? None of your answers are going to be wrong. Unless they're wrong. <laughs> Sorry. But don't, but don't fear to answer wrong because it's okay. What? Why? I love the Lord. Huh? I love the Lord. Okay. To love the Lord. Okay. So what, what's another reason that you're a Christian? Because he's the only true and living God. Okay. Because he's the only true and living God. Good. Got to the bottom of my life. It was the only thing that helped me out. Okay. Go ahead. To destroy the works of the devil. Right. All right. That's good. What else? Bring heaven to earth. Right on. What else? Pam. Right. What else? I didn't want to go to hell. (laughs) All right. I'll tell you, that's the wrong reason to become a Christian right there. (laughs) I had to say it. No, but you know what though? A lot of people are taught that, so that's why they became a Christian. And I'm not saying that could be that could be the reason that you were brought in, but that reason has to shift immediately once you're in. Because if that reason doesn't shift once you're in, your mission statement is to just stay out of hell and you walk on eggshells your whole life, like with hell nipping at your heels. Go ahead. Because the Father loved me. Because the Father loved me. Good. What else? Give me some more. To know him. To know him. Good. For other people. Other right on to love other people. Good. Part of the completion process of he who began the Right. Okay. What about you? To worship him. To worship him. Good. Give me some more. Who hasn't answered? Who hasn't given an answer? Come on. If you lie, you fry. Who haven't given an answer? <laughs> How about you? Well, as a little girl, as a four-year-old girl, I've seen the picture of Jesus. I've seen the lights window in the church. And even though my parents didn't take me to church, I recognized Jesus as being. That's awesome. See, you saw him there staring at you. Right on. We have that same one down here in the church, I think. If you get on the stairs, kind of he's doing the same thing. That's awesome. Lana? Become more than I was living. Become more than I was living at the time. Brian? Well, I was attracted by love, so it must be it's already said he's coming love to attract others. Right on. Go ahead. To become like him. To become like him. Good. That's good. Go ahead. Why did I take Said yeah, why? Why why did you be why are you why are we Christians? We're here to be world changing units cloud. That's it. That's good. That's good. Because yeah. he loved you first. Because he loved you first. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who else? Go ahead. Uh, even when I was faithless, he stayed faithful. Mm-hmm. Right on. So even when he, we were faithless, he stayed faithful. He didn't give up on us. Go ahead, Mary. 
To reveal His glory. Reveal His glory. Right. Okay, go ahead. Return back to the original state. Right on. Right on. Return back. To be His daughter. Be His daughter. That's good. I said with me it was different. It was like to be pulled out of despair. Like, I was so far in the pit. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, it's changing now as I've grown. But like, and the first reason why I was like, to get out of somewhere I was. Right on. Anything was better than where you were. Help me get out of here. Yeah, yeah, binoculars, I could almost see out to the right. No, I was down there. Right, so he's saying that like he was so far down in that place that it took binoculars to even see a light at the end. But the binoculars are actually a mechanism that Satan likes to use to show you that you're so far away from that place. How am I going to get from here to there? The simplicity of the gospel is that it's this one prayer of repentance that takes you there. Good. Right. That's good. That's awesome. Okay. Check this out. That's awesome. All these answers are good. Even the one to get out of hell. You know, I didn't want to go to hell. Because a lot of people, a lot of people over the last, I would say over the last 50 years have been, have been taught to be born again is to escape hell. And that, so it's not a wrong answer. That's a legitimate answer. That's the reason why people come in. God is, the spirit of increase is on the earth and God has been, God has been increasing the revelation of why we're Christians and it's just increasing. You can look at it across the boards and in countries worldwide right now that God is, is increasing the sense of awareness of his bride to become what Jesus paid a price for. Yes, it's to destroy the works of the devil. Yes, it's because Jesus was holding the lamb and that it comforted your heart. Yes, it's to become like him. Yes, it's to, sh- to reveal his glory. Okay? But God, God, God came down and did what he did and satisfied the wrath of God against you, disarmed the principalities so that you could be, be restored back to what you were created to be in the beginning. You are a Christian to become a son. You're a Christian to become a son. So this is the number one reason why you're a Christian. If God's your father, you need to be restored back to son. Because son is the identity that you were created to have. Adam was a son. And what Adam lost, Christ regained. So Christ regained sonship. So when sonship is what we, if if sonship is what we come into, sonship is what keeps us there. This is so important because as a son, we're a joint heir. I'm sure, I'm sure Dan talked about joint heir. If he didn't talk about joint heir, I'm sure that he talked about, you know, Jesus said, all that the Father has is mine and then all I have is yours. So the same thing, but it's through sonship. It's through sonship. Sonship is the original reason why we're Christians. We're a Christian to become a son. We're a Christ-like one. We're one that revealed the anointing of God. Yes, it's to reveal His glory, but it's more about Christ in you, the hope of glory being revealed. All creation groans for the sons of God to be made manifest. So all creation is groaning, even the animals. That's crazy to even think about. Even the animals are groaning for you to manifest sonship. That's crazy. Why would a horse want me to manifest sonship? I don't know. That's weird. All creation, man. Everything is groaning for you to be a son. 
Everything is groaning for you to manifest sonship. Why? Because God created you to be just like him. He created you to be a son. He created you to be a daughter. He created you to be just like him. He created you to manifest him in your workplace. He created you to manifest him everywhere you go. See, it's not about us manifesting us anymore. It's about us manifesting him. And Jesus said, Jesus said that he would manifest himself to you. The Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, the whole, the whole nine yards in and upon us, man. The fullness of God in you. And the fullness of God. I can't even imagine that. You think about that. God, God wants to set up camp in you. His fullness wants to come and, and be inside of Jonathan. His whole fullness wants to be in there. We ought to explode if we don't give it away. We ought to blow up if we don't give it away. There ought to be something inside of us that is like, I can't contain this. There ought to be something inside of us that says, oh, God, I got to get this. Oh, I got to give it away. Jesus was given the ministry of reconciliation to reconcile people back to the Father. To bring us back as sons back to the Father again. That Calvary, that the cross was to bring us back into our communion with the Father again. So something in that tree, something in the cross has to be really important. And we've, a lot of people are seeking after the miraculous and, and people join this school because they see sometimes you, you see our videos or hear our teaching or or whatever and, and we're like, man, I want to do that. I want to I want to pray for the sick. I want to be I want to be like that. I want to have God flow through me all the time. I want to I want to see people healed. I want to see people touched. I want to see man, if you become a son and understand what it means to be a son, this stuff will be a byproduct of sonship. So that's why this school is going to be very different, I believe. Very different. Because I know Dan's heart because he's, he's my dad. I know his heart. He's my dad. He told me, first of all, no matter what I did, to seek righteousness. So the key to this school, man, and I know that it's going to be righteousness. It's going to be right standing with God. It's going to be right standing. Are you with me? Okay, I have, I have a few times that I'm going to see you. Dan's going to be here a lot. And I'm going to come sporadically and kind of pop in when I can and just to give whatever I can give. And I'm not saying I'm anything because I'm not. All I am is a Christian. I'm a son, just like you. I'm no one special, man. I'm just somebody that was trashed and had a horrible life and just horrible atheism and drug addiction destroyed my whole family, destroyed everybody. Horribly, And God said, that's not who I created you to be. And he came in and he stamped me. He came in and he stamped me and he stomped out the devil in my life. He transformed me through righteousness. And righteousness is what will keep you. Right standing with God is what will keep you. And it makes me cry every time because I know who I am and I know who my dad is. And there's nobody that can take that from me. And if righteousness gets instilled, of you, instilled in you, you will be clean before the Father. You'll be white, crystal clean. The love of God will be revealed to you in that it's not, when, it's not because of what you've done. It's because of what He's done. That Jesus paid a price for you to wash you clean of that. Paid a price to wipe out the memory of what you wish you could change. That you can't. Paid a price to wipe it out so that your mind could be crystal clean. So that you don't have to think that way anymore. So you could think like God, because God said to set your mind on things above, not on things beneath. And on things above, God sees you through your identity in Christ. He doesn't see you through what you wish you could, what you wish you didn't do. 
He sees you through what he paid a price to. So he sees you through blood lenses where you can never miss the mark in that place. But if you don't see yourself through that, you're still looking out the wrong lenses. And you can't live in that place because you're tormented by the demonic. Because Satan will have a field day with your life. Because Jesus said, my sheep hear and obey my voice and the strangers, they won't follow. So a stranger whispers and tells you who you're not, but you're not secured in who you are. So you're listening to who you're not. And all of a sudden your life becomes a who you're not. Trying to live a who you really are, but you're living in who you're not. And it's torment, and I see it. It's the number one thing. You ask Dan, he'll tell you the same thing. Everywhere we go, identity is up for sale in the body of Christ. Look, time is short, man. Time is short. We know that Jesus is coming. I love what, what Pastor Don shared today about the Samaritan. It was powerful. You look at the second day. Look at that, man. That thing sticks in me. I'm serious. This is like, we're in some serious times right now. That's why the spirit of increase is on the earth. If you open your heart to this thing that I'm talking to you about, if you open your heart, you will become love. You'll become love. See, there's a lot of people that are in this room that have heard, that have heard us share, that have heard all the time. So the answers vary in difference in, in the people that are in the room. Some of the people that spend time or at the church or spend time, you know, under underneath the teaching that that we've been teaching. It's to become love. It's to become sons. That's that's what we that's where we hit. That's where we pound, because that's where we're, we're supposed to become love. We're supposed to be just like our dad. And if our dad is love and Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God, Jesus was the visible image of love. And if we're to walk just like Jesus walked, we're to walk and become love. Love destroys the works of darkness. Love destroys the works of the devil because the devil is nothing but hate, anger, depression, bitterness, unforgiveness. He's the devil. He gets stomped out by love. So good. (laughs) Jesus. Lord, I thank you for these people today, God, for every day. But I thank you today, God, that you've allowed me to to be here and just to share. God, I'm asking you for your word to just become a complete reality. For your word to become a hell stomper. A hell stopper, God. That your word would become flesh. That, God, this word would bury so deep in our heart, God, that we would be the outraying image of an indwelling Christ. Father, I thank you for mindsets being changed, for hearts being completely pierced, for the word just coming and just knocking out trash, God, so that we could think with a pure heart, God, so that we could, so that we could walk with a clear conscience, so we could walk with an unviolated conscience, God, so that our mind would be completely free from lies, Jesus, I worship you and we thank you. We thank you. Holy Spirit, come in this place. Holy Lord, my God, fill us up. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, God. 
We ask you to come. We welcome you. We welcome you. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. We worship you, Almighty Lord. We open up our hearts to you. Change our motive, God. Our motivation is love. Our motivation is love. Change our perception, God. Change our heart, oh Lord. We welcome you, Lord God. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you. We want to be like you, God. We want to be just like our daddy. Just like our daddy. Just like our daddy. Just like our daddy. Jesus, 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 Holy God, Holy God. God, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. God, we're asking you to shake whatever needs shaken and break whatever needs broken, God. We're giving you full permission, God, to completely just drive your sword in deep and root out trash, God. We will not look introspectively to try to fix our own self, God. But we will. Would you make that promise with me? Lord God, we promise that we will not look inside of our own self to try to fix to try to fix our own self, God. But we will spend time in your word and we will ask you to cut us deep, Lord God. Cut us deep with your sword, Holy Spirit, and shine light on anything that needs to shift and change. My God, we're yours. We're sons and daughters and we're asking you to shine your spotlight and take out the trash, God. We trust that your word will cut us deep, Papa. And we give you glory and honor and praise. Jesus. Amen. <laughs> wow. You're right.
Pastor Don, did I tell you that I love you today? I love you. All right, just go to Second Corinthians ten. Okay, I'm just going to hit a scripture before I go into 2 Corinthians 10. It's in Romans 12, 2. I'm sure you've all heard it before. Let's just go to Romans 12, 1, and then we'll go to 2 Corinthians here. Sorry. You'll be all right. It'll make you quicker through your Bible. I'm serious, man. When I first came into Christ, I, I heard the pastor talking about scriptures, go to here, go to here. I had I freaked out because I had no idea where to go. I would always be in the table of contents trying to flip through. It's the reason why my Bible got tore apart, I think, because I was flipping from front to back all the time. I didn't know where to go. So I would encourage you that when someone says go here and then go there, don't get frustrated. Just close your book, go to the next place, and then flip back. It'll get you quicker through your Bible. You want to be able to navigate through your Bible quickly. So the more you turn in it, and the more you spend time in it, the less you'll have to think about where you got to go. So regardless if you're a new Christian or if you've been a Christian for a long time, it's still a good thing to do. All right. In Romans 12, 1, it says, I beseech, I beseech, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is the New King James. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's crazy. Look at this. I urge you, brethren, I urge you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Man, that's awesome. A sacrifice in the, in the days when they sacrificed animals, when they sacrificed, a lot of times they'd sacrifice and they'd actually put it up on an altar and it would burn. Right? So they would sacrifice the animal and they'd burn it and it would offer a fragrance up to God. So with our life, we're supposed to be a sweet-smelling fragrance to God. But the problem is, it's a living sacrifice. You're not all cut up and, and scattered on the altar. So you have the, you have the complete ability to crawl off when it gets hot. So a lot of times when the heat is on and when life starts to hit us, we crawl off and we become a different person. When things hit us and stuff and we're on there as a living sacrifice, it's by the mercies of God. And who knows that God's mercies are new every day. So by the mercies of God, you woke up this morning, the mercies of God this morning are different than they were the other day. Today, they're different than they were yesterday. They actually were different than they were six seconds ago. We don't think that because we think, well, it's different every day. It's different every second. Like the mercies of God to this, when I started preaching today, when I started sharing today, they're different in the beginning than they are now. There's more mercy right now. 
We don't think that way, but it's an increasing mercy. It's an increasing mercy. It's increasing. It's amazing, which enables me to be a living sacrifice that when stuff comes, I don't have to crawl off the altar because it's hot and ow, get me out of here, God, it hurts. Come on, stuff comes and we're supposed to stay there. And then we're supposed to offer ourselves, present ourselves as a holy, holy, holy to God. Man, that's crazy. How can we be holy to God? What if God sees you that way? Well, how can he? I'm not. Yeah, but if God sees you that way, is there an ability for you to see yourself that way? What if, what if you saw yourself in that way? What if you saw yourself as holy? Not to say, look at me, I'm holy, but to say, look at him, he's awesome. He empowers me to be just like him. Come on. To be holy and acceptable before God. Which is your reasonable or your rationable service, your rational service. So that's the service that you have. It's the only thing that's rational. So in the Bible, that's the only rational thing that you can do is offer yourself completely to God. Give up everything. So you can't come into the kingdom. You can't come to the school, incorporate a bunch of stuff to try to go out there and just incorporate this to change your life. You have to give him your life because it's not yours. Offering yourself as a living sacrifice means that you're not your own anymore. You don't belong to you anymore. You've been purchased with blood. If you think there's a part of you can hold back from God, he will bargain for the rest of your life. Satan will. And before you know it, you'll be an 80-20 Christian to start with, a 50-50 Christian. You'll be lukewarm. And all of a sudden, you'll wonder where God is. And you'll think that God didn't show up and God didn't do this and God didn't do that. Why didn't God bless me? Why didn't you hear? Why weren't you here? God, where are you? And all of a sudden, you've got the wrong, twisted perception of who God is because you're supposed to be like God. He's not supposed to be like you. And a lot of times we make God in our image and he's supposed, we're supposed to be made in his image. We've come back to the original value. Christ has put on the curse for us so that we don't have to be, have the curse in our life anymore. But when your perception is seeing this way and not this way, all of a sudden you're looking for love in all the wrong places. And you'll never receive it. Because the more you get from here, you'll think this is it, this is it, this is it. And you won't be getting from here. And this will be all messed up to where you'll be a Christian. And you'll go to church on a Sunday. You'll put on a face. You'll put on a mask. And everything will be okay. But during the week, you live like hell. And that's not okay. Being a living sacrifice means that you're always on the altar. And when God sends fire, it's good. It's not bad. It's good. It's just to burn up some stuff that needed to go. Ow, it hurts. Send more, God. I'm telling you right now, the fire is good. Look, listen, I go through the same stuff that you guys go through. And I'm going to tell you a little story that happened when we were in Switzerland. My daughter's here. She can testify to it. My daughter and Zoe were playing. And they were messing around, just joking around, being kids. And Zoe fell forward. And Sissy didn't catch her because she didn't see what Zoe was doing. And she fell straight and landed on her nose. My daughter Zoe is four. Her nose was pushed back between her eyes. You have no idea. I'm telling you. And it's nothing like what it looked like. Her nose was pushed. This part of her nose was pushed back between her eyes. To where her nose was countersunk. And my daughter, Destiny, brought her out and I freaked out. Because Zoe was coughing up blood. <coughs> my four-year-old kid. 
is coughing up blood and daddy freaked out. Daddy, the man of God. The man of God that offers himself as a living sacrifice. Saw his daughter coughing up blood and coming out her nose and her mouth. Daddy! Daddy! And I freaked out. And I lost it. I didn't start cussing and swearing. But I freaked out. Oh God! And I freaked out. That living sacrifice that I'm supposed to be. This thing got bigger than my awareness of God. I'm just like you. I'm growing. So after, it was weird, man, because Zoe was coughing and spitting up blood. And my daughter, Destiny, was like, Daddy, let's pray. Just so happens that a couple years ago, Destiny had a nosebleed that was so bad. Same kind of nosebleed, different situation. that She was coughing up blood and I lost it. Same thing. Same, I don't know if you got that yet, Des. Same exact thing. And my daughter said, Daddy, pray. And we prayed and immediately the blood stopped. So my daughter was there and she jogged something in me again in the place of twistedness and, and freaked out because of the situation. And immediately her nose came out and the nose stopped bleeding immediately and all the blood stopped immediately. But not before I freaked out. <laughs> it's reality. I had to apologize to my daughter because I was freaking out. It wasn't what she's used to see. She's not used to seeing that. I had to say, I'm really sorry. Daddy's sorry. I had to spend time with the family just like getting together. But it took about, I don't know how long it took. Probably a minute. It seemed like a lifetime. But it took about a minute to get this thing honed in to where it needed to be. I, I talk to God every day because I don't ever want to get to that place to where a situation overwhelms me to the place where I'm outside looking in. I always want to be in a place where I'm inside. Christ in me, the hope of glory, is looking at the situation from heaven's perspective to where the situations don't move us to where we're moved internally. That's a real thing. Really happened, man. Just a couple weeks ago. And my daughter's nose is perfectly fine, but it was completely messed up. And I'm telling you, it was God's mercies by the mercies of God that her nose came out because I wasn't in a place that I needed to be. And he brought me into that place. It was like I came down to earth. Do you know that people spend that place that was just for a minute, a minute of my life, they spend weeks and months and years in that place. And I can't imagine, I can't imagine that you could spend, the minute was horrible. It was horrible. Like I, I hurt so bad inside for a minute. I was like, where are you God? But I wasn't even thinking, where are you God? I was beyond where I should have been. And then God went and brought it back in. My daughter's part of the body. My wife is part of the body. My wife was in the back room praying. She came by the room and saw Zoe. She goes, oh my God. And she didn't even come into the room, to the bathroom. She went back in the bedroom and she sat on the bed and she prayed. My daughter, Destiny, was, was praying. I said, get out, get out. And that made her get out of the bathroom. She went in the other room and she was praying for Zoe. And I was in there and God spoke to me through what Destiny had said. Pray, Daddy. 
And all of a sudden, her nose came out, not because of my prayer alone. My wife and my daughter were all in the same place in different rooms, bringing it back in. And then I repented for the way that I got out there. (laughs) How's that for being transparent? But if we're not transparent... We're not growing. If I can't share that kind of stuff with you, if I just share the highlights and the different things, then that's not growing, man. I want to be transparent with you. I'm growing up into him in all things. That's our life, man. That's what we do. And we share this stuff with each other. We be transparent with each other all the time. So I want to encourage you as a group, as a group that you're here, be transparent with each other. If you're going through something, share it, bring it, bring it. It's imperative that you share it and you bring it so that you guys can get together on the same page so that you can love one another and confess to each other and, and bring it in. We don't want this to be you just in this school for you. We want you to be family. We want this to be a unit. We want you to be able to share things and to be able to be a part of each other's lives. Don't think this is just all about you and you come here and then you leave. No, be with each other. Does this make sense? Does it help? It's important, okay? Because we don't want... This church is a family. You've now entered into a family. You've entered into a family church. A church that it's, it's about family. It's about becoming one unit. So we're the body of Christ. So we want to stick together. Okay, so I gave that example so you could see the transparency that we need to have with each other. But also that like we're family, man. I'm your brother. Okay, I mean, we're, we're all the same. I don't have the time to, because I'm only home for a couple days a week, so I don't have the time to spend time with everybody to say, hey man, how's everything going? I come back, I was really glad that I could come back on Sunday and be at church on Sunday, this Sunday, because it's not often that I'm able to do that. But I'm just telling you, just be with each other, okay? Sorry, I got caught sidetracked, but not really. <clears throat> It's all the gospel. I know this is Pastor Don's heart, so I'm sharing his heart because his heart's my heart. All right. It says, and don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For a while, I thought that that word prove was that I'm going to prove to you what the will of God is. But actually that word prove means a different word. That word prove means approve, which is really neat. But I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, not conformed to the world, but be transformed by my mind being renewed so that I can approve what is the will of God. So that I can look at something and say, yeah, that's the will of God. Yeah, that is the will of God. And then once you line up with, yeah, that is the will of God, you'll walk out the will of God. And then people will see Christ in you, the hope of glory being manifested, which will be Christ coming out of you, the hope of glory revealed. So we want to get our minds renewed. We want to get, and this whole school is going to be about your identity being transformed, your mind being completely renewed to a place where you don't see yourself for who you used to be. You don't see yourself for anything less than what God says you are. So that your prayer in your closet isn't going to be about, God, teach me your power, show me your glory. Your prayer in your closet isn't going to be about, God, I just want to pray for the sick. I want to see the sick healed. Your prayer in your closet is, God, I thank you so much you've made me a son. Lord, I thank you that the blood is enough. God, I thank you so much you've given me everything according to life and godliness. God, I thank you so much, God, for everything you've made me. You've made me a living sacrifice, Lord God. I thank you that I'm a son 
done. And everything that Jesus relied completely and fully upon in the treasure house of resources is mine and at my disposal to further your kingdom. Father, I thank you so much that everything in my past is wiped out. I'm a brand new creation, Lord God. Everything is, all past is passed away. Today, all things have become new. I'm a brand new creation. God, nothing remains except for righteousness in my life. That's the kind of prayer you're going to pray. That's where you're going to be. You're going to be in a place where all God removes all unrighteousness. If God says that if you confess to the Father, and 1 John, I think it's 1, 7, says that God is faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness so that nothing but righteousness remains. He is faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And if you come to God and say, Lord, I messed up, immediately when your heart wakes up and sees it, God says, washed blood. And all of a sudden you start to see yourself for what God sees. What God sees is a blood-bought son that nothing can stick to except righteousness as long as their heart and mind stays in a place of confession before him. Not to beg him to forgive you, but to stand in that place. I don't have to beg God to forgive me for anything. If I beg him to forgive me, I have to wonder if he really did. But if I stand in a place of forgiveness, if I walk in a place of forgiveness, if I walk in that place where I know that my daddy's just, he's true, he's real, and God says he's faithful and just, if I mess up, I slip, I don't stand in that place and walk. I repent, I turn, and I walk this way. And God immediately cleanses me and I'm clean, I'm blood-bought, I'm washed with blood. Nothing sticks to that. And if you see yourself that way, you'll never see yourself for what you wish you could change because it's already been changed by blood. And it is finished. And if it's finished, it's really done. And if it's really done, then all you have to do is live this way, not this way. Because rearview Christianity in the kingdom is not allowed. That's powerful, man. I live my life every day that way. How can you live that way? Because God says so. Because I won't allow my experience to dictate what God said. What God says is true. If my experience doesn't line up, my experience might be a fact. I might have went through it. But what God says is true, period. doesn't matter what I think apart from what he said. Satan would love to jog your memory with things that you wish you couldn't do. He would love to jog your mind with opinions. Man. Our opinions are nothing if they don't line up to what God said. You can't say, yeah, but what about? Knock it off. Don't say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. They're devils. Yeah, buts. And yeah, but you don't know. Yeah, I know that's what God said, but devil. I'm serious. You have to settle in your heart, first of all, that the word of God has been magnified above God's, way, above God's name. Psalms 138 verse 2 says, God, you, O Lord, have magnified your word above your name. God's magnified his word up here. So what God's word says is, is Lord. So what we think apart from what he said doesn't matter. You cannot magnify how you feel above what he said and expect that to go over well. Right? So we have to allow his word to stay in that place. Amen? So don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So our mind is the place that needs to be fixed up so that we can start to think like God thinks, think like Jesus thinks. We need to think according to covenant. We need to think this is going to be all about establishing covenant. Covenant, relationship between you and him. Jesus didn't say eternal life was going to heaven, guys. It's not what he said. 
we, we ask people what eternal life is. When I go and I preach around the, the nation and even in Switzerland, when I talk to them about eternal life, then go to heaven. One day go to heaven. One day go to heaven. That's because that's what we've been taught. But the Bible doesn't teach that. Eternal life is knowing the Father. Eternal life. In John 17, 3, Jesus said, this is eternal life. That they might know you, the only true God. Eternal life is knowing God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. doesn't say no one comes to heaven. Do you understand that? Jesus said, I'm the way. Where? People have been taught. He's the way to heaven. He's the way to God. He's the way to the Father so that heaven can get to earth through you and that heaven can invade earth through you. If we don't think that way, we'd limit God. And you're limited by your mind. Go to 2 Corinthians 10, please. Pastor Don, I was over in uh, Switzerland with these uh, the Swiss German people and they were just uh, very uh, stoic in the you know, and I told you, I, I said, like the first night, I said, are you guys happy in Jesus? And they're like, yes. And I said, <laughs> and I said, tell your face. <laughs> I was just playing and they did not smile, man. And I tried to explain myself and they still didn't smile. And it took, it took a whole day in order to like get them to, just to get them in that place, man. Because they... They, they have been taught, they have been taught the gospel in such a way that it works, that you have to work your way to this thing. You have to work. And as a matter of fact, it's not just in Switzerland. It's here in America. We're very works oriented. We're very, we want to do, 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 do. Doing is good, but if it comes out of being. I remember um, a pastor when I first got saved, I went to this class called Transformers class. Um, it was Pastor Jack Cashman, actually, and he instilled some godly principles in my life, man. He's an amazing man of God. Actually, just taught me a lot of amazing things. And the Transformers class, he always started out with Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it, I, these seeds got in me from this class. That, that right there, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. And I was a drug addict for like 22 years, man. And I went to this class on Saturday mornings because I was, I, I incorporated Jesus into my life for about <clears throat> five and a half months. And for those five and a half months, I would rarely miss a Saturday morning. And I, I'd use drugs and destroy all the way through the week. And Saturday morning, I'd come to this class. I'd be crying, you know, and be listening to this guy talk about be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'd hear that same scripture week in and week out, week in, week out, week in, week out. I knew there was something there, but I hadn't given myself to God. I hadn't surrendered to God. I just incorporated him in, so nothing changed. But I remember that, and I'm like, man, something's wrong up here. So I at least got that. There was something really wrong up here. Really? So then, so then like I went to teen challenge, I got radically delivered and, and it was just amazing, man. Wow. I told you second Corinthians four, right? Yeah, stay there. 
it's all just so good. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. I'm looking at time. I've got 30 minutes. Think I can do it, Pastor Don? Think, think I can? <laughs> that didn't even sound good. I have faith in you, brother. I have faith in you, brother. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I'm known for preaching the eternal gospel. It never ends. It's... I don't think I can do this. That doesn't sound good, does it? Okay, yes, I can. All right, let's do it. Okay, go to Second Corinthians 3. Just flip one page. How many of you are intercessors? Okay, then this is a good time for you to pray. <clears throat> let's pray that I do this. <laughs> God's been revealing to me and opening this thing up um, in a different way because I, because there's something, there's a difference between the ministry of righteousness that Christ paid for us and the ministry of condemnation that Moses brought. Because what's weird is that, and, and this is what, and Pastor, correct me if I'm wrong, but but we're still under the same, this, the law, didn't he didn't abolish the law. He didn't crush the law or do away with the law. The law was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. So he fulfilled the law. The law and the prophets were until John the Baptist. That's what it says. And Jesus paid a price to fulfill the law. That doesn't mean that the law doesn't exist anymore. That just means that the law is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> so, so Moses... <clears throat> Let's just read. Do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need as some others epistles of commendation or, or, to you, or to you or letters of commendation from you? For you are our epistle in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, <clears throat> written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. You you heard um, Pastor Don said that your life let people read your life you know read read you as a book because people ought to see people ought to see what you say you believe by your life lived not by your words said alone but your words and your actions coming forth coming together and that comes from being not conformed to the world but being transformed by the removing of your mind see i believe that when someone gets born again i believe that the whole gospel comes fully equipped in their brand new heart that they've already got i believe that god said i don't i'm not going to write on stone i'm going to write on tablets of flesh i believe that he's referring to that very thing right here that you've got a new heart that when you get born again is everybody in here born again is there anybody in here not? That would probably be a good start. Okay. <clears throat> so being born again, God's given you a brand new heart. And with your brand new heart, I believe that the word of God comes fully equipped already in there. 
I believe that it's already in there. But I believe that how the word of God renews your mind is through Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit bridges this gap right here so that the word of God can get from here to here to renew your mind. Holy Spirit communicates with your spirit, which illuminates the word that's in your heart. See, we can read the word by the letter through the law or just you can read the New Testament and still be in a legalistic way trying to enforce principles and say, this is how I'm going to live. This is how we live and bite your lip and try to do it. But you will walk this thing out in a Romans seven lifestyle. And you will try to do this thing in your own strength. And Romans seven says, by the law, 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 under the law, under the law. So you will try to fulfill this thing and walk this thing out in your own strength. And you can't. You're not built to do that. So you will say, even though I wanted to, I couldn't. And even though I didn't want to, I did. And you'll use some excuse as always being a sinner when God says that you're no longer a sinner, but you're a saint. So in God's eyes, he's translated you, he's transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You're no longer a sinner saved by grace, but you're a saint, not with the habitual want to sin like you were when you were a sinner. But now you're a saint with the tendency to slip. But when righteousness becomes the consciousness that you walk in, the tendency to slip gets smaller and smaller and smaller. To where the love of God increases more and more and more to where your tendency to slip becomes fewer and fewer times. And when you do, you immediately get to a place where you're clean. Do you understand? See, we're not taught this, I don't think, a lot of times. This is the only reason that I'm telling you this is because I read it in my Bible. I, I was a guy that had no Christian experience, no, no grid for what Christianity would look like, man. I came into a church suicidal and I met Dan. And he told me about righteousness. He told me how he convinced me, man, for I tried to convince him of how bad I was for an hour and a half. Man, I told him, you don't understand. Dan said, no, you don't you don't see let me explain to you what. And I would tell him, you don't get it. Look. Uh, uh, uh. And, and he would like say, no, listen. Listen to what he's done. But he told me a key. The key to Christianity is seeking righteousness first. That no matter what you do in the Christian walk, you seek righteousness first and foremost so that you're right with God every second of the day. So Satan can't whisper to you who you're not because you're right with God. And when he comes, he's such a liar and he's so exposed because all you can do is worship him more when he touches you. If you're not in this place, you will put on a Christian face and be tormented behind the closed doors. You can go to school all your life, but if this thing doesn't get sought on your own time, if you don't seek righteousness in your own strength, in your own time, outside of these four walls, you will never become a living epistle. You will never be known by an inward manifestation inside of your heart that can't be shaken by an external reality. Where your internal reality is bigger than the outward cry of the world trying to... So right standing with God has to be everything. So Moses was given this ministry of of condemnation because we couldn't walk it out. All right, let let me read on real quick. And we have such trust through Christ Jesus, through Christ toward God. Verse four, not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. For he who made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, 
but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses which of the glory, because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be much more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was, for even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Moses's, the glory that was upon Moses' face was, shine, was shining forth and was so bright that the Israelites couldn't handle it. They couldn't bear to look at him. So he had to put a veil across his face. And even with the veil across his face, it was still like a flashlight in the dark. But the ministry of righteousness... When your mind, and it's, gonna, and it's in here, when your mind is clear, you won't have a veil on your face anymore. Your, your mind won't be veiled. Your, your, your eyes won't be veiled. You will see with this one vision, man. And it's not like a flashlight. It's like sunlight. Listen, it is impossible it is impossible. Even in the, you read the, the voice of the martyrs or read these magazines that, that come in for the persecutor. Read Jesus Freaks. Read that book. Read these people that are under persecution that is so horrible that you can't stop the shine from coming off of these people. Because they're transformed, man. Transformed, not conformed to the world, not conformed. These people are in the midst of circumstances that they're going to die if they share their faith. And they shine in the midst of darkness no matter what. Because you can't stop the shine of a Christian that understands righteousness. You can't shut it down. You can't stifle it. You can't bag it. You can't put a veil over their eyes. Why? Because their mind is clear. Second Corinthians, man, it, it's a powerful chapter, this one that I'm talking about, because it talks about the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, the, the Lord. I love this whole thing. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not steadily look at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the New Testament. I believe that Moses had an experience with God. I believe that the children of Israel actually subverted their experience with God when they said, Moses, you go talk to him. We don't want to. We'll listen to you. So I believe the children of Israel actually lost their right to actually have a visitation with God. They said, no way, dude, we can't handle it. You do it. And sometimes Christians today go to church and they look at the speaker and they say, Oh, speaker, no! You guys do it too. You can have the visitation. You can become a habitation where God can flow through. That's what this school's about. It's about righteousness. It's about establishing identity. So you don't have to look at the guy coming in to pray for the sick. You can be that guy. You can be that woman on your workplace because your eyes are not veiled anymore. Because you walk with the king of glory flowing through you constantly. To where lies have been removed. To where the truth has set you free. And whom the sun sets free is free. He said in that day I'll give you the spirit of truth. That's Holy Spirit and you've all got him. You've all got him. So he wants to reveal that same truth through you. In and through you every day. All the time. You know my relatives they, they 
they bashed me and beat me and with their words and with the way that they thought and the way that they think. And they were angry and bitter. One by one, I'm watching them all come into the kingdom. Regardless of what they thought, regardless of what they said, regardless of the evil, the way that they think, the way that they talked, doesn't matter. I see and they don't. They're blinded and I'm not. All the time. You know, yesterday I came home and Jackie had told me that her brother was coming to my house. Her brother is a tough guy. Another one. The one guy that he had cancer last year and and we loved on him and helped him financially just to help him, bless him and would never let me pray for him. I don't believe in that, man. And by the grace of God, man, medicine and we prayed from the outside, but not laying hands on and, and, and there's no trace of it in his body. And that's awesome. And, and, and it doesn't matter if he gave glory to God and that we that's not like it does, but it doesn't. In other words, I'm not moved by him not giving praise to God. So he's he's just he's bitter and angry. And now his life's falling apart. His life, each one of my family, their lives are falling apart. Because they're not founded and grounded in righteousness. They've incorporated Jesus in, but he's not their everything. He's just a bit. He's just a little bit of a piece of of something, but not everything. And Johnny came to the house last night and he's going to help me. He came in actually to to put drywall. So he he started to smear some drywall in the garage last night because he's done that before. Came over and he needs some extra money. So I'm just going to bless him. And he came in and He's going through a hard time with his wife because neither of them see. So I love him and he just looks at me and for the first time he sat there and cried and cried and cried. As I got to preach, my daughter comes outside to take the dog out the front door. She didn't come around the garage. She goes, Dad, I heard you out there yelling. You were yelling. I said, no, I was sharing. I was speaking right into Johnny's heart last night. He's just like, man, he goes, I really need this. Can I come back tomorrow to talk? (laughs) Listen, don't be deceived, man. Don't be deceived by how people act. You walk this thing out. You allow your life to be a living epistle. And they will come to you because they'll want to know why you're not moved. Why you're not moved by circumstance. Why circumstances don't move you. But why you're moved by an internal reality that crushes an external crush. Do you understand? Do you know it's it's impossible? It's impossible for someone that knows who they are to be completely crushed by circumstance. It's impossible. It's very possible. Like when I started this thing out and I shared about Zoe when she fell. It's very possible for someone to understand who they are, but to be tripped. But it's impossible to keep them down. You better hear that. That's very important. And I'm telling you that I'm preaching out of life experience because I'm, I'm learning this thing as I go. We have stuff come all the time, man. All the time. I can tell you boatloads of stuff that comes. But when righteousness is founded inside of you, that's what births forth. That's what comes forth. That's what rises to the top. That's the cream that rises to the top. When fiery trials come, it's in Peter. It talks about fiery trials coming. It's actually the testing of your faith. It actually comes to test your faith. Think, ah, that's the devil. Yeah, it might be. But are you moved more by that or moved by the Christ that's in you? So as stuff comes, we grow. We, 
Uh, just gets stronger and stronger. Come on, man. It's the reality. We all face it. We all go through it. I promise you, Pastor Don goes through it. I've been with him on a bunch of it. <laughs> We've talked a lot. I promise you, Dan goes through it all the time. Like all the time. All the time. <laughs> he does, but you won't see it in the way that he is. Because he doesn't wear salvation on his sleeve. You wear salvation in your heart. And you're moved by the reality of the kingdom inside. Amen? You getting anything out of this? At all? Is it helping? Okay. So Moses put a veil over his face. So the children of Israel, so the children of Israel could not steadily look at what was passing away. Man, I believe that now I'm growing in this. So hear me on this and pastor, you can weigh this out. I believe that Moses has a, had a visitation on that mountain for a long period of time. And I believe he stayed with the Lord. You know, it says that he, I believe he fasted for like 80 days. Wasn't it 40 and 40? Didn't he go for 40 days? And which would be crazy. Well, it's hard for us to fast for one day, so it'd be crazy for him to fast for 80, right? No, but, but he's in the presence of God. He's in the presence of God. And, and it says that that thing faded away. It says that it faded away. It says they were, in it, they were not able to look, but it was passing away. I believe that we can have a face-to-face experience with God every day to where the glory never fades away. I believe that we can stay in that place to where our eyes are never veiled or our eyes are never blinded and our face is never veiled. That no matter where we are, we are hooked up to a continual, not visitation, but habitation of God to where Christ in you, the hope of glory shines bright. No matter what you're going through, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter where you are, that nothing can veil that. And the only one that can veil that is you when you believe a lie. I believe you can stay hooked up to a place where you can shine constantly. It says, nevertheless. Oh, it says, but even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on the heart. That's when Moses is read without Christ being the forefront. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord. So when your heart turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty. And we all with an unveiled face beholding as in a mirror. The glory of the Lord. We are being transformed. And there's that same word that we read in Romans 12 too. That word transform means that we've been. The way, the way Pastor Jack used to say. And, and this, is the, the, this is the example that I remember. He would always use the caterpillar into a butterfly. Where a caterpillar was a caterpillar until it was a butterfly. But it went through the stage until it was a butterfly. But it was completely different than when it started to that when it finished. It was completely ugly looking until it got to a beautiful thing. Right? But that transformation is this. And it talks about we all with unveiled face. So the veil being removed. Because not of condemnation, but because of righteousness. Righteousness is what removes the veil. Right standing with God is what removes the veil. It says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. That's in 1 Corinthians 10, right? 10.4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, taking every thought captive taking every thought captive why because the strongholds exist in the mind 
So it would make sense that we don't be conformed or squeezed into the way the world wants us to be, even the way the church wants us to be. And I'm not beating up the church, but I'm telling you that it's not about a bunch of programs and a bunch of... It's about transformation. What if you had people that were transformed so much that they wanted to volunteer for everything instead of being made to do something? What if you had a breed of people that were so transformed by the renewing of their mind that they wouldn't have to be made to do something or to be begged to do something, but they would want to volunteer because of the day of his power? Do you know that we're in that day? And when transformation comes because of a righteous identity, righteousness is where it's at. All of a sudden we want to do things where before, yeah, I got this and this and this and this and this. I mean, I understand if you have so many things that like, like I'm, I'm trying to deal with this, like in my life, because I have so many different places to go and so many different things to do. I'm trying to, to get this thing to where, because I want to be a good steward of, of, of everything in the kingdom. I want to be able to, to, I want to be able to have people that I can give this to, that can run behind and give this to. So I want that in my life. I'm not understanding how it's going to look yet because I'm, I'm just finding out who I really am. I'm growing in this thing. So I'm, I'm growing in this thing. But what if, what if you had a breed of people that righteousness was their foundational principle and what they wanted to do is they wanted to volunteer for everything because it's the day of his power and in the day of his power they will volunteer because it's that it's the redefined Christianity it's a new breed of Christianity it's a breed of Christians that are grounded in righteousness that are moved by righteousness that are empowered by the spirit of God to where they're not under the law they're under the law of liberty in Christ Jesus they're not under the law of condemnation and they don't have to worry about walking out the law because they walk in the fear of God which comes through righteousness and when they walk in that place they don't have to worry about accomplishing this and this and this because that's a given because righteousness is what they seek. Because right standing with God, they're right with God. There's no hidden closets. There's no stuff. There's no junk in their closet. They're just clean because God says so. Man, this is where we need to be. This is where we live. Every day. Don't think too much on this because you can allow your brain to get in the way. You can because you've had many teachings. I tell people, wipe out the teaching that you have at least for this session. I should have said it in the beginning sometimes we have so much teaching and so much stuff that has become Lord in our life instead of Jesus that we allow a teaching that we've had to become dominant and when something comes in that's actually liberty it tries to like pull the veil away and it won't go because you're consumed by what you've been taught instead of opening your heart and letting the eyes of your heart open and letting Holy Spirit be the bloodhound where he goes, that's God. And he goes, and lets it in. <laughs> so we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror. What's that mean? Your face doesn't have a veil on it anymore. Let's just look at it in the simplicity of what it says. As in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. When you look in a mirror, what do you see? Do you see yourself? You're supposed to see yourself because a mirror reflects yourself. But what really do you see? 
See, if the mystery revealed is Christ in you, the hope of glory, when you look into your own eyes, do you see Christ in you? Or do you see your shortcomings? Or do you see the things that you haven't measured up in? Or do you see the things that you wish you never did? Or do you, think, or do you see the, the things you wish you never said? Is that what you see? Because I want to tell you something. That's not what God sees. What God sees is a son. What God sees is a daughter. One that wants to be like their daddy. One that doesn't know how to get there, so they just believe. One that says, faith, faith, God, help me with faith. One that says, God, if Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, write this scripture down. When I said to you that God stamped me, when I was in Teen Challenge, God said, I'm going to stamp a scripture upon your forehead. It's going to be Matthew 6.33. I can tell you that you're probably going to hear that scripture a lot in the next few weeks to come. Because this is a church. This is a church that actually seeks this thing first. It seeks first. The kingdom of God. If you're going to be kingdom-minded, you ought to seek the kingdom. Jesus didn't say... Here's the gospel of salvation. Pray a prayer and go to heaven. He said, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the nations and then the end will come. We've made it a mission to go out and preach the gospel of salvation to all these different nations, getting people to pray a prayer. But that's not what Jesus told us to preach. Jesus told us to preach the kingdom. The kingdom is the transformation of a life to where your whole life is transformed. The greatest miracle today is a life that's completely transformed to something that never looked this way before to something that people have no idea what this is this is completely crazy who is this guy people that saw me and knew me when i went to high school hear about me now and say this is not the same guy there's no possible way i'm, I'm not kidding man even my babysitter from six years old he babysit me when i was a little kid says there is no way that this is the same one that's how bad it was for real so seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is Matthew 6, 33. And then all these things will be added to you. When you seek the rule of God's government that governs and reigns from within, the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace and joy. Righteousness and peace have kissed and joy is the byproduct of righteousness and peace in marriage. And it's in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God's not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So the kingdom is within the Holy Spirit. So when you seek first the kingdom, you're seeking first relationship. You're seeking first communion with God through Holy Spirit so that you can become sons that is directly hooked or a daughter that's directly hooked with your father. So that the fear of God becomes the byproduct of righteousness and peace. Where fear of God is, is, oh my gosh, you walk in the fear of God, not being afraid of what God says, not being afraid of God, but being in a reverence place of God. Being in a reverence place of God to where something that's contrary to what God said comes in and your spirit shakes. No, this isn't okay. And then you walk in that place to get your spirit to steady again. There's such a place to walk in the fear of God to where sonship is what we seek. But the fear of God is a byproduct. The fear of God is what you're compelled by. The fear of God is the same thing as the love of God. Jesus, Jesus was anointed with the sevenfold spirit of God. In Isaiah 11, 2, and it talks about it. But it says his delight was in the fear of the Lord. 
So when his delight becomes your delight, all of a sudden, man, things start to happen from sonship. But righteousness is foundational. And the fear of God is, 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 is brewing in the place of righteousness. So that this becomes who you walk, how you walk, how you live, who you really are. Are you with me? All right. Now watch. It says transformed into the same image from glory to glory. I believe that the sanctification process of God is you moving from glory to glory to glory to glory. I believe that we become sanctified. I I believe that sanctification is immediate as soon as you get born again. But I believe the sanctification process of God is your mind being renewed, getting out old trash, getting in the thoughts of God to where you get sanctified as lies and thoughts come out. This whole program, this whole school is going to be about taking out lies, man. Taking out lies and bringing your identity into sonship. Bringing your identity into righteousness to where your past doesn't have a voice in your life. And I'm sure Dan will pound that thing because we do. It's our greatest privilege to pound redemption and pound righteousness. And I know Pastor Don's a big advocate of redemption and righteousness and kingdom. So this thing is just going to be amazing. It's a life tra- I guarantee it's going to be life transforming. None of you are going to walk away unhappy with what you've received. I guarantee it. I spend an hour with Dan and I feel born again again. I do. All the time. I mean, it's a figure of speech, but man, it's so good. It doesn't, even if we just hang out, man, and I can fellowship and we tell stories of what's going on around the world. No, it's, it's awesome. I don't even get to spend time hardly at all anywhere with, with my peeps because I'm, but God wants us to be in that place where I don't need Dan to keep me in line. Where I don't need to him to keep me accountable. I need Pastor Don to keep me accountable. I'm accountable through Holy Spirit who is my mentor. To where you can reproduce this very thing that's going to be birthed in your heart all across the nation, all across the world. To where you can make many sons. That's what this thing's all about. So that's the season that we're in. Going out and making sons everywhere we go. That's what it's about. And not that they have to call me their dad. That's not it. I just want to make you a son. Because that doesn't mean that I'm your dad. It means I'm your brother. Call me what you want. I'm just family, man. Call me, call me a lesser son. I'm just coming up underneath you, kicking you out of the boat to get you to walk in righteousness, to get you to walk in identity. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to come up underneath of you, equip you for the works of ministry so that your job becomes your mission field. Not to get you into full-time ministry. Man, walk this thing out in your regular everyday life. God will put you into ministry when it's time. Don't press to get in there. Press to just walk in Him. Anybody that gets themselves in has to strive to stay there. I've seen people after people, all of a sudden, all kinds of people that put themselves in, all kinds of hell comes in to their life to just to, to try to see if their identity is who they really say they are. And, and you've got to be really wise, man. The enemy's on the prowl, bro. He's a jerk. Okay. Therefore, since we have this ministry... What's the ministry we have? The ministry of righteousness, the ministry of the Spirit. So you're all in ministry. You all have the same thing. It doesn't say who has this full-time ministry. It says, no, since we have this ministry, as we've received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifest by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. 
But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Watch this. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You are the in-ring, the in-ring manifestation inside of you as you see without blinds on your eyes when your face is unveiled people will see christ in you the hope of glory you will shine deep darkness deep darkness has covered the earth but the light has come your light has come shine that's what we're to do we're to shine so that everyone around us wonders and questions what is going on with that guy what is up with that woman Man, she's not even moved by persecution. We say mean things. She's not moved. All she does is just love us. They can't handle that. The world can't handle it, man. And it's good because I'm watching God possess people. My family, my family is one of the number one byproducts of that because all of us cry out for our family. All of us want our family. I had some of the hardest. They're all coming in. I told him last night. I said, dude. Remember when you used to persecute me and say mean things and stuff? God would tell me everything that you used to say. He just sat there and cried. I said, lift your chin up, man. I said, did you ever see me respond to me mean to you because I knew that? He said, no. I said, well, God's not mean to you and God's not responding that way either. I love you, man. You're amazing. He's like, man. Why? It's supernaturally possible, but naturally impossible to live this way, to walk this way. So, Lord God, I thank you in the name of Jesus, God, for your peeps. I thank you for these amazing students, for these amazing sons and daughters that are here today, God. I'm asking you in Jesus' name to radically transform their hearts so that their own family doesn't even know who they are. So that their family would be completely wrecked. So the family they'd be praying for would be completely transformed to a place where they never even thought they could be. God, I thank you that you'd make this whole room of people Holy Ghost wrecking balls that would rule through righteousness, God. They would rule, they would reign as kings through the abundant gift of grace and the free gift of righteousness. It's Romans 5, 17, that they would reign as kings in this life through grace and the free gift of righteousness. God, I ask you to seal up this word in their hearts and their eyes and ears will be open. God, I thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yay.